Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play. Like it's a history of life of its own, we are relentless competitive attitude. Well, hello, good evening, welcome to our show here. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, joined alongside Kyle Russo. Kyle, thank you very much for joining me. We have a very special episode in store for you guys tonight. This is technically a dark episode of Review and Preview. Follow us on Facebook at Review and Preview Sports and on Instagram at Review and Preview. Subscribe to our podcast on the anchor.fm slash review and preview. And if you have any questions tonight, feel free to comment in the stream. We look forward to having you. So our special guest tonight is the one, the only, New York Giants WFAN radio host, Lance Meadow. Lance will be joining us at approximately 7.20 p.m. He is also the host uh, for the Giants on BigBlueKickoff.com, the podcast he does with Paul Dettino. He did his today with Paul, I believe, at 4 PM. They're moving back to 11 a.m. tomorrow and then back to noon uh, for next week. So I'm definitely looking forward to having Lance on tonight, Kyle. Definitely looking forward to chatting with you, with him. And he's been working for the Giants organization since 2008. So bravo. Uh, good for him. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be an action-packed and exciting show that we got for uh, all you guys tonight. And I'm definitely looking forward for it as I'm repping my Giants gear. I said the Giants uh, attire in the back you got the sign you got the the towel and the lawrence taylor uh jersey right there behind you tom as well uh for those of y'all that didn't see but definitely a fun show uh that we got in store for you guys tonight i'm definitely looking forward to it that is lawrence taylor number 56 so yes folks lance meadow will be joining us at approximately 7 20 p.m and we will bring some coverage on what he thinks on what he's seen at training camp of the new york football giants how the roster is going to shake up. Cause remember cut down day is just two days away, Kyle. And remember due to the pandemic, they're already at 80 players, 81, including Sandro Platzgummer, uh, the European guy they acquired um, that they were assigned. Now, Kyle, let's start talking about the Giants before we get Lance on, let's just quickly recap. Uh, obviously the giants last year, they were four and 12 third in the NFC East. And then they fire their head coach, Pat Shermer. After two seasons, they pretty much cleaned house with their coaching staff. Yeah, no, they did. They really did a complete, like you said, Tom, clearing house of their front office completely, you know, from straight down from Shermer to everybody in between. Um, and you also saw a lot of players in the past that were formally, you know, signed by Dave Gettleman, some of his first signature moves in which he made as the new GM of the New York Giants. All those guys didn't return. We look at guys like Michael Thomas uh, Alec Ogletree, these were some of the guys that he brought in that are no longer with the Giants organization at this point in time. And they cleared house not just from not just from a front office perspective, but from a roster perspective as well. They really did a number on this roster. It's a complete different. I know we were talking about it the other night, how different this Giants roster looks from last year. And it really does. 
Yeah, and of course it starts with the man who was behind center for 16 seasons. I'm going to share my screen here. Obviously, Eli Manning did retire after 16 seasons. He had his final home game uh, as a starter against the Miami Dolphins in Week 15. Here is Eli one last time at MetLife. Uh, Great career for number 10, two Super Bowl rings. He's uh, now retired at the age of 39 and now. Uh, we look to the future for Daniel Jones, and it was very emotional to say goodbye to Eli Manning, but Kyle, a very successful career, and I don't think New York Giant fans would have wanted to have it any other way. Yeah, no, we kind of, listen, he didn't have the Cinderella ride out like his brother Peyton did, you know, winning the Super Bowl, Sheriff riding off into the sunset, but it did end up very nicely for Eli. I was happy to see the way in which it ended. He was able to get a couple starts at the end of last year uh, when Daniel Jones went down, and it was just it was really nice to see because you, you saw over the past couple of years that Eli was getting a lot of knock against his game that you know people were saying Eli Manning should have retired three, four years ago, but he managed to get through a lot with what GMs in the past, you know, Jerry Reese had put him through roster wise, uh coaching decisions that Eli was put through, whether it was Ben McAdoo, uh Steve Spagnola for a little bit, uh Pat Shermer as well. Um we didn't make the best of coaching decisions and game time decisions for Eli Manning to succeed at the highest uh, possible outcome of the game scenario. But the way in which it ended it, it, all that over the course of the last three years to have taken place and to end the way it did was very, very nice. Yeah, it was definitely great. It wasn't a Cinderella, uh, the Cinderella ending everybody had hoped for, but a very successful career. Another player who left the organization, of course, is uh, long snapper Zach Diossi, who we will get up here right now as well. Another two-time Super Bowl champion. He was actually a rookie back in Super Bowl 42. There he is, number 51. He actually, um, yeah, he was a captain for the second one, but for the first one, he actually came in uh, late in the season when Ryan Keel got hurt. Uh, about mid-season when Keel went down, he was the Giants' long snapper, and he was great too, 13 years, guy out of Brown. Uh, really good kid, really good man in this league, and he was a captain for quite some time. And, you know, Jeff Fiegels brought it up uh, the other day in his interview. The Giants lost five of their six core special teams players from last year, including Rosas, Diasi, Michael Thomas, Cody Core, and David Mayo, who was momentarily uh, out of the lineup. So, um, yeah, we'll get this comment here by our producer backstage, Lance Meadow, New York Giants WFAN radio host, will be joining us at 7.20 p.m. Remember to share this podcast on your page with your friends. We'll look, we're really excited to interview Lance. Um, so let's talk about Joe Judge, right? The new head coach of this team, sworn in on January 8th, the 21st head coach in New York Giants franchise history. He came in with a pretty you know, inexperienced resume but he was an assistant under some elite uh well-known coaches as in bill belichick in new england and nick saban in alabama i'm really excited especially what we've seen in training camp so far uh from joe judge yeah no those are uh the cream of the crop type of coaches in which you really want to be um especially with the giants you know like i listed before uh steve spagnola ben mcadoo uh pat Shermer, really not having that type of coaching tree come from rather success in which uh, they've had in prior jobs within the league in which they haven't. I know Pat Shermer formerly coached 
the Browns at one point in his career, and he didn't have necessarily a successful career there. Got a second opportunity with the New York Giants. Didn't really, you know, didn't really last, didn't really show any of that spark and bring that winning attitude and mentality to the New York Giants. But having a guy who was under a guy, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, even though he Joe Judge was a special teams coach under Bill Belichick, just being under that coaching tree that has produced so many other successful products within the NFL, uh, one that comes to mind, uh, just the guy in his first year, Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins, who at one point in time, it looked like the Miami Dolphins were just hiring a coach to take the hit for the season uh, and then get fired the next season. But Brian Flores, for what he had, he had a pretty successful season, and now they got a team put together down there in Miami for him. And, you know, he could potentially be looking at a uh, maybe a 500 season, maybe a game behind 500 type of season for the Miami Dolphins, depending on their health, you know, riding on the fact of Tua Togovailoa, a number five overall pick in this past year's draft. But those are the types of guys in which have spread under the wings of Bill Belichick. And hopefully the Giants necessarily, I'd say, caught lightning in a bottle and got one of those successful uh, people for their organization as well for years and years to come. So I've got to say, uh, Joe Judge, definitely a young guy, just 38 years old. He's been impressive so far in training camp with the way he's handled handled his players, his coaching staff. Guys are running laps if they make mistakes. You love to see him. Well, no nonsense. Hold, yeah, accountability is definitely a core factor when you're dealing with um, a new head coach in the building and just the second year quarterback. But we look at the assistants, a couple familiar faces, and it starts with offensive coordinator Jason Garrett, the ex-Dallas Cowboys head coach, former uh, Giants backup quarterback uh, for the 2000 Super Bowl run. The Giants had a lot of people forget that, that he was Kerry Collins' backup in 2000. And now Jason Garrett, he was also here during the time 9-11 happened. So, um, you know, great to see Jason Garrett back with the organization. And, you know, he's another, again, he's an old school coordinator. You know, I hate to keep using that term, but they, he loves to run the football. He loves to pass a little too, but uh, Ezekiel Elliott got his, um, you know, bread and butter behind that offensive line in Dallas. And that's what Dave Gettleman has built here in New York. So I'm definitely very excited um, how that's going to turn out for the Giants. Thoughts on Jason Garrett? Yeah, no doubt. Um, when it comes to Jason Garrett and what he brings to the table, you know, he had a lot of slack and knocks against him for what he was responsible for being the head coach in Dallas. He didn't have – he was not able to be a good head coach. But offensive coordinator, I had no problem with the New York Giants hiring him as an offensive coordinator strictly because it gives him that one job to focus on. It's something that he does very, very well. And in an offense where you see young guys like Darius Slayton come about who had a fantastic season last season, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, a healthy Evan Ingram – you're talking about the combination of now Saquon Barkley in there as well, you know, comparing him to Ezekiel Elliott and how he was used in Dallas uh, for his tenure, obviously under Jason Garrett as the head coach. And then Daniel Jones with an improved offensive line. You know, Jason Garrett has a lot of weaponry to work with. Not saying that it's better weaponry than what he had within Dallas, but now that he's solely the offensive coordinator, it should give him less responsibility and more zone in focus on how much potential to tap into with this offensive um, with these offensive players. Definitely agree with you. Salvatore Formica, a quick comment for you there. Great job, Kyle. Sal Formica. Thank you, Sal. I appreciate it. So moving on to the defensive coordinator who actually worked with Joe Judge in New England from 2012 to 2015. We're talking about the Giants' new D.C. and Patrick Grant. Now he comes over from Miami after one season. Prior to that, he spent time in Green Bay. 
as their defensive mind there as well. Uh, and Patrick Graham, it's funny because uh, him and Judge were in New England together for uh, three, four years. And that's where, you know, New England started to win Super Bowls again, 2014. Um, you know, when they beat the Seahawks and then they beat the Atlanta Falcons. So I, I'm really looking forward to um, Patrick Graham. I think they're really, and, you know, I hate to bring this up, but Paul Dottino mentioned it on the podcast yesterday. Giants beat reporter was saying how, you know, the Giants are really looking to emulate New England's defense of years past. Yeah, no, definitely under that branching wing. But what concerns me with Patrick Graham the most is just, Coming from Green Bay, because we got to remember that as a defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers, the Green Bay Packers had one of the most atrocious defenses in football. Now, granted, they didn't necessarily have the talent. I think that the Giants may have a little better talent uh, now than the Green Bay Packers did at defense. And then especially now bringing in some familiar fla- uh, some familiar faces in Blake Martinez and Kyler Fackrell, who had much success under Patrick Graham being their defensive coordinator. Now, obviously, bringing in other pieces uh, at the cornerback position, a nice little tandem of Logan Ryan potentially and newly acquired James Bradbury. Uh, pretty good, I would say, at this point in time, defensive line for the New York Giants. They've kind of built that up over the last couple of years where it started off with a Dalvin Tomlinson, adding a B.J. Hill, drafting a Dexter Lawrence, adding a Leonard Williams. That's a pretty solid front and some safeties along within the secondary. I would say that Patrick Graham has some good options to go to to work with on this defense and this create some excellent, excellent matchups in the future. I agree. I definitely agree. Patrick Graham, there's some positives to him. There's also a couple of things that do concern me, but uh, the big man in charge who's pulling the plugs in the front office, it's GM Dave Gettleman. He's in his third year. And fun fact about him, you know, I know he's gotten a lot of heat. He's been on the hot seat, this and that, but through the three drafts he's run so far that he's orchestrated, only two picks aren't on the roster. And that's Kyle Lawletta and Big George from last year, who was waived because he was hurt. So overall, I think Dave Gettleman's done a decent job putting the team together. There's a couple of moves that he's made that are head scratchers. Like for instance, the Leonard Williams trade, not everybody was happy about, but look who we acquired in the offseason. James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, who's a tackling machine, and Kyler Fackrell, who had 10 and a half sacks a couple of years ago. He went out and he got a change of pace back in Deion Lewis. Austin Johnson, defensive lineman from Tennessee who worked under Mike Vrabel. Um, Lewis and Johnson both coming from Tennessee. And Joe Judge brought over special teams ace Nate Ebner, who is in here to replace Michael Thomas, who's probably going to be a captain of this team. Casey Kreider, who is a former Pro Bowl long snapper. He played with Riley Dixon in Denver for two to three years. So he's been impressive, too. And then, obviously, Cam Fleming coming over from Dallas. And the big one, the big one. A couple days ago, Logan Ryan, yeah. former New England Patriot, former Tennessee Titan. He's been on their judge. He's been on their Mike Vrabel. He's been on their all those guys. What are your thoughts on Logan Ryan joining this squad? Logan Ryan is huge. It was almost a sense, a sigh of relief as a Giants fan to see that type of cornerback, first off, just even be on the market at this point in time. Logan Ryan, only a 29-year-old guy, New Jersey kid, straight out of Rutgers, uh, more than happy as you see by his social media feed, to join the New York Giants' hometown team. But for this guy to even be on the market after having a career year, these are usually when guys get their paydays. Uh, 29-year-old in his prime, uh, most interceptions in a season in his career with four, most pass deflections, most combined tackles, got the game-winning interception in the playoffs against Tom Brady in an elimination game in the playoffs to send Tennessee to the next round. 
um, in Foxborough. I mean, these game this this guy was game time. He was he was huge. He was huge. And to get him on a one year seven point five million dollar deal, in a sense, maybe a prove it deal. Hopefully, uh, a guy of his caliber has the type of season that he had last season. Uh, hopefully, in a New York Giants uniform this season, you know, potentially could be brought back for years and years to come. Potentially, but to just get a guy again, Tom, this late, you know, I know we as Giants fans we worried, especially in the secondary, what the starting cornerback tandem was going to be we knew that james bradbury was the guy that's who they acquired deandre baker we obviously know the offseason issues in which he's dealing with at this very moment sam beal opting out um and then being left with guys like Corey valentine who didn't necessarily have those starting reps julian love who got moved all over the field last season to get a solid guy who's been in that position before who's played under a guy in bill belichick who's gone to the playoffs numerous amounts of times in his career, had a career year last year to get him this late and to call him a starting cornerback for this New York Giants team, I'm more than happy. Ecstatic, actually. Yeah, I'm very happy as well that we got him, especially after Xavier McKinney went down. Um, Definitely, you know, it was tough because he was picked so high. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation. Um, but it was very interesting, too. The Giants had 10 incoming rookies, several undrafted free agents. And, you know, at the end of the day, Kyle, this team really, they didn't set the bar very high last year. But now it's, you know, it's potentially a new era. So I know a lot of Giant fans are excited. I know I'm excited personally. So definitely looking forward to this season starting in just a couple of weeks. Probably like it starts a week from tonight, the Thursday night game, obviously. But um so before we get Lance Meadow on, he is the New York Giants WFAN radio host and host of the Big Blue Kickoff podcast on Giants.com. Tom Scavetta, Kyle Russo here. We're going to talk about, you know, just run through the opt-outs. Remember, Nate Solder, Sam Beal, Damari Scott all opted out, so they were replaced. Obviously, the Giants just brought John Jalapio back yesterday. Now we look at the new CBA roster size, and I, I know a lot of our viewers want to know about this and are a little confused what exactly it means. So, Teams can have up to 55 guys, but that doesn't mean it's going to be a 55-man roster. It's going to be a 53-man roster with two openings for teams to bring two up to two players up from the practice squad and back down for game day without having to go through waivers. So basically what that means is you can have up to 48 players dressed on game day under this new CBA. Uh, I personally like it. Kyle, and now the practice squad is up to 16 players. That's also another plus. Uh, six of those slots are open to players with any amount of experience. So 10 players on the practice squad have to be a guy with three or less years of NFL experience. The other six, you can be 34 years old, veteran on that practice squad. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how that, how teams kind of use that to their advantage maybe this year. What are your thoughts on that? Listen, uh, for a time and a place to come in, you know, during COVID, it is extremely beneficial, especially with a season without a preseason games. You know, we've seen guys, uh, one of the most notorious preseason performances ever in a New York Giants uniform. Victor Cruz made his entire career in a matter of four preseason games. And that's why he was able to have the career in which he had with this New York Giants team because he was able to prove himself. Now, not having this preseason, you don't really know what you're getting out of a player potential. I know I was bringing it up to you before. You know, what are coaches really able to see and develop and realize with a player in a scrimmage game where they're practicing against their own team members 
what are you really seeing when you're going up an opposing defense or going up to an opposing offense when they're on your own team, when you're playing against your own team as opposing to playing another team, for instance, playing for another team that is trying to compete for a job as well, a potential player trying to compete for his job as well, where they're fighting harder and harder on the field as opposed to competing against guys on your own roster. Now having that expanded roster and practice squad, it now enables guys that are just on the cusp of making the roster, may not be too sure to develop their game even more and for the Giants not to lose those guys and other teams not to lose those potential beneficial players in the process as well. All right, guys. Kyle, thank you very much for that. And also, cutdown day is less than 48 hours away. So there's no better time to, with that being said, to introduce our guest, Lance Meadow, Giants WFAN radio host and the host with Paul Latino of the Big Blue Kickoff podcast on Giants.com. Lance, first off, thank you very much for joining us tonight and welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be on the program, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. So, um, obviously, today was the last scrimmage for the Giants, and cuts are looming, right? So they have to be down to 53 by Saturday. How do you think first-year head coach Joe Judge has done with the little time he's had to prepare for the season, you know, how he's handled all these challenges, not just with the limited practice time, but the protocols in place as well? Yeah, to your point, it's been quite the challenge, I think, for a first-year head coach. And I said this before the season even started, guys. I felt that teams with veteran coaches and continuity on their roster, meaning they were carrying over the bulk of the players from the previous season, would have a significant advantage over teams such as the Giants. Because it's not just Joe Judge. It's a completely new staff, and it's two new schemes. But I think to get back to your question The fact that he has surrounded himself with a veteran coaching staff, I think, has helped him immensely. When you look at the staff, Jason Garrett has been a previous head coach in the NFL. Patrick Graham has been a coordinator. He's held various positions. And the list goes on and on, even some of the positional coaches. So I think that has provided a nice foundation for Joe Judge to operate where he can lean on individuals who have gone through, for example, the 2011 lockout and who understand what you have to do when you have to adapt and change because you don't have a typical offseason. So from that standpoint, I think he's done very well. And then from the standpoint of interacting with the players, it seems as if the guys are really buying in to what he's selling thus far. They've tried to have some fun activities throughout the course of training camp. I'm sure you saw him in the wet grass try to slide and grab the football because they're working on fundamentals. But The players are responding to that. I think what was blown out of proportion was he was having some of his coaches and players run laps. As I've said this time and time again, what you have to understand is this is a young roster. A lot of these players are not that far removed from college. They've come from the Nick Saban programs. They've come from the Dabo Sweeney programs. And I think they understand when those coaches are on you for the small details and expect a very high level of play on a consistent basis – it's not very much different than what Joe Judge is asking this team to do. And you know, the Giants have had issues in the consistency department in terms of winning games. So for a coach to come in and try to put in some new rules and regulations and a new culture, I don't think that's an issue at all. So I think so far, so good. Things have transferred over well. But, you know, as you guys well know, it's all going to play out in the regular season where we're going to be able to determine what was put in place in training camp, is that going to actually translate? We're not going to know that until they actually start playing meaningful games. 
I like that because I know Paul Tatino brought up, he was a little concerned about not having preseason this year where the guys are realistically just going up against each other. But I have a follow-up about Joe Judge Lance, and I don't know if it's just me thinking this, but there are definitely some similarities, I feel like, between him and Coach Coughlin in a sense when he first came in. What excites you most about Judge, and do you think that might necessarily be true in some respects? Well, that comparison has been thrown around a lot because Coughlin, to your point, was a disciplinarian. So it's understandable that Joe Judge comes in. He wants things run a certain way. I shy away from making comparisons to a guy like Tom Coughlin only because, you know, keep in mind, when Coughlin took over the Giants organization, he had previously been the Jaguars head coach. He had worked in the Jaguars front office. He was a college head coach at Boston College. The resume is so much different than what Joe Judge is bringing to the table. Now, Joe Judge certainly has coached at the NFL and collegiate levels, but he's never been a head coach. And he does come from the Belichick coaching tree. And Coughlin certainly has ties to Belichick, given the fact that they were all under Bill Parcells. But what I think is important, and it's interesting you brought up the comparison tale, because like I said, a number of people have brought that up. And I think what we have to understand is the reason why a lot of former Belichick assistants get in trouble is because that's all people throw out at them, right? They constantly expect it to be Belichick 2.0. What I think Joe Judge has to do is, and I don't think he's going to have an issue in this department, is people can ask as many questions as they want about how Bill did his thing, and people can throw out as many comparisons as they want. He has to carve out his own identity. I think that's important for any former Belichick assistant. And he seems to be going about his business that way, where he's going to take things, of course, from New England and what he learned. Patrick Graham, who's the defensive coordinator, also worked under Bill Belichick. Brett Bielma, the outside linebackers coach, worked under Bill Belichick. Guys, we could sit here all day and we could have the coaching tree. You get what I'm saying. So he's going to always have those ties with him. But does he have the New England roster with him right now? Does he have Tom Brady? Does he have some of the pass rushers like a Chandler Jones that New England had in the past? Does he have some of those other prolific secondary players like Stephon Gilmore? Absolutely not. So the comparison has to stop there. Now, once again, Coughlin, what was interesting about Coughlin, if you go back to the evolution of what he did with the Giants, he started off where he was very hard on his players, remember? And then Michael Strahan spoke up, Tiki Barber spoke up. He changed. We're not at the point yet where I don't think Joe Judge is rubbing any of these guys the wrong way because Coughlin had a veteran team when he took over. Completely different story. Joe Judge has a youthful movement that he's working with, so that's another big difference, and that's why Coughlin had to walk a fine line and eventually start singing a different tone. I think the fact that Judge is starting off with such a young platform, which is very much different from Tom Coughlin, and these guys can relate to the college rules of thumb, I don't think he's going to have to go through the same course of action that Tom Coughlin did. So that, to me, is the major difference between the two. Good point. Lance, alluding to how young this Giants team is, another young guy now, second-year quarterback for the New York Giants, Daniel Jones, had a fantastic, as far as I'm concerned, proved all the doubters wrong type of rookie season uh, for him under his belt. He put about 8, 10 pounds of muscle on this offseason – but what do you now expect from him under new offensive coordinator Jason Garrett? Well, here's the thing that has to be noted, guys, about Jason Garrett. And it's got nothing to do with Daniel Jones. It's the fact that he's worked with a number of young quarterbacks and helped them develop. 
that to me is promising. And if you want to look at, well, what did a coach do elsewhere that maybe makes you excited about what he can help Daniel Jones with? Tony Romo, Jason Garrett was the offensive coordinator when Romo was still a relatively young quarterback. And look at what happened with Romo. People could throw out the playoff success, lack thereof, all they want. Romo was very solid and consistent in the regular season. And then Dak Prescott took over in 2016 because Romo got hurt. And Kellen Moore, who was the Cowboys offensive coordinator, was actually supposed to take over. He got hurt. Dak goes from a third-string quarterback to a starter. And remember, his first start was against the Giants in 2016. They lost that nail-biter of a game because Terrence Williams couldn't run out of play in time for the Cowboys to get off a field goal. And then Dallas runs off 11 straight victories with Dak Prescott as the starting quarterback. Well, Jason Garrett was the head coach. Let's not forget about that, guys. And he had to get a young quarterback ready to go on the NFL level quickly And Dak had an extremely good touchdown-to-interception ratio as a rookie, as well as some other impressive statistics. So to get back to your question, okay, how does that apply to Daniel Jones? Well, the first thing is Daniel Jones had a very good touchdown-to-interception ratio last season, which a lot of people are not talking about. He had 24 TDs. He had 12 interceptions. Guys, that's something you want to build off of if you're Jason Garrett. What you want to clean up, though, of course, is the ball security. You can't overlook the fact that he had fumble issues, Throughout the course of his starting tenure with the Giants as a rookie, the numbers are well documented. The Giants had 33 turnovers. He was responsible for 23 of them. You can't win football games if you constantly turn the ball over. The Giants were minus 17 in turnover differential. That was dead last, tied with the Chargers. It's no surprise. The Giants won four games. The Chargers won five. It's synonymous with wins and losses. So the fact that he has helped mold young quarterbacks, Jason Garrett, I think that's promising for Daniel Jones. And I think the fact that also the Cowboys were up there statistically in terms of scoring points and rushing the football with what they did with not just Zeke, okay? DeMarco Murray has to be in this conversation. You got to go back to the archives a little. That 2014 season, DeMarco Murray was one of the top rushers in the NFL. He then moved on and signed with the Eagles in free agency. But the point is, when Garrett has been in command of the offense, whether it be him, whether it be another individual that was calling the play, such as Scott Linehan, Dallas has been fairly consistent statistically. So I think that bodes well again for Daniel Jones. All of these things are promising, but the one thing that Jones has to answer the call with, regardless of the coaching, is the decision-making, holding on to the ball, because all of that dictates ball security. And that, to me, is in the ballpark in the hands of the quarterback, not necessarily the coaches. So That's going to say a lot about the ceiling of Daniel Jones in year two and where this offense goes. Can he clean up the ball security issues? I think he has the other intangibles, but if the other things meet halfway, that's when you start to all of a sudden feel good about where this offense is heading, especially with a lot of talent around it. Lance, speaking of talent, obviously the Giants have third-year running back Saquon Barkley, who did miss some time last year due to injury. But what's the biggest difference you've seen from him so far? I know it's probably been hard uh, with the pandemic, but from last year to this year, what would you say is his biggest stride up to this point? Well, if you were asking me about something off the field, I would say it would be the leadership component. I think he's emerged as one of those vocal guys that the team leans on, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. It's crazy to think this way, but let's put this roster in perspective. First of all, Over 50% of this roster has had three years or less in the NFL. Well, that tells you an awful lot about the makeup of the group. 
Saquon was drafted in 18. So he's now entering year three. But you enter year three on the Giants roster, guys, you're considered a polished veteran. I mean, let's be honest, right? So that's why I'm pointing out emerging as a vocal leader, because you're going to have to turn to some of those players that may have only had one or two years in the NFL. As far as on the field is concerned, you really got to dig deep to look for the minor and subtle details in Saquon's game because of the fact that he still certainly is more than capable of being that elite runner. He's very good at catching the ball out of the backfield. So for me to sit here and tell you after watching X amount of practices that he's gone above and beyond in those departments, I think would be a little bit of hyperbole. I will say this, the one area that I think is important for Saquon to improve, and I know he has been focusing on this throughout camp, is pass protection. That is an area where also you can aid Daniel Jones in terms of making sure that he holds on to the football, having the running backs on those third downs to be that second layer of defense behind the offensive line. And I think that's an area to watch this season where he can improve and he can help the overall offensive production. And then, of course, the durability factor, which you alluded to, because he did get hurt last season. Now, I think the promising aspect is when you look at the depth chart, they brought over Deion Lewis in free agency, former New England Patriot, who was with Tennessee recently. And then Wayne Goldman, I think, is the lost player in all of this. Goldman's been very productive in training camp throughout the course of practices. I know his playing time dipped immensely last season, but also another young player that has the versatility, catch the ball out of the backfield, be a runner. There's depth. There's some options in the backfield, but you still don't want to anticipate going into a season and losing Saquon Barkley to the degree that they had to go through last season. So durability, pass protection, I think, are the two areas to watch for Saquon Barkley this season. Now, outside of that, it's all about him adjusting to Jason Garrett's scheme and once again, being that dynamic weapon that Daniel Jones can lean on, because I think this offense is going to start out leaning heavily on the run. I think they want to dictate the tone on the ground, open things up for Daniel Jones, not the reversal. You look at what Dallas had with Zeke. Let's pound the football. Then let's open things up for Dak and company. I think the personnel's in place, guys, for them to follow that game plan. Everybody's got to be staying healthy and, of course, executing on a high level consistently in order for that to come to fruition. Now, Lance, speaking of options, Daniel Jones has a solid trio of receivers and Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton. What do you believe those three guys bring to the table, and who do you believe becomes the favorite target, in a sense, for Daniel Jones going into his second season? Well, Slayton had a heck of a rookie campaign. If you remember, he developed into that vertical threat, also that big playmaking threat. And you know, people forget, I'll always remember, first day of rookie minicamp, Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton are part of the same rookie class. And that first practice, everything Daniel Jones, through the way of Darius Slayton, it went through his hands onto the ground. He had the case of the dropsies. And it's amazing to see the progress that you saw out of him late in the season. So you know, Slayton, if you were to ask me who could be a favorite target, to go back to your question, the chemistry between Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton I thought was extremely evident, specifically in the latter part of last season. He would be a guy that I would certainly pencil in to lean on. Golden Tate missed the first four games because of suspension, but when he's on the field, he certainly has that ability as a guy to collect yak yardage after the catch. That's how he's made a name for himself 
throughout the course of his career. And Sterling Shepard, once again, we were talking about Saquon Barkley. It's the durability. It's the concussions. You hope that he's able to stay on the field. When these three guys are on the field at the same time, to your point, once again, you say, wow, I mean, Daniel Jones has a lot to work with. The great stat that I always throw out, I don't know if you guys are even aware of this. Do you know that Daniel Jones did not have the three wide receivers, Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram, on the field at the same time at all last season? Not once. Not one game. Not one stretch of a game were all five of those guys on the field at the same time. So when everybody asks, well, what could this Giants offense do? My response is, I'm just as curious as you guys are because I have yet to see what this offense could do with everything clicking at the same time. But, you know, your question obviously focused on the wide receivers. Slayton and Jones, once again, I think they built on something where they laid the foundation. I'm very interested to see what they could do moving forward. Now, if you look at the Cowboys offense, Dallas also had that three-headed monster. We can't overlook that. And I always look at the previous scheme. Not to say, guys, that I'm comparing the Cowboys receivers to the Giants receivers. It's just the schematics. You had Amari Cooper. You had Michael Gallup. You had Randall Cobb last season. Of course, they're going to have C.D. Lamb this season. But Dak leaned heavily on Amari. Michael Gallup had over 1,000 yards last season. He had two guys. They're more than capable of getting to that point. But I see Daniel Jones spreading the wealth. I don't think he's going to play a favorite. Once again, if you ask me the favorite, I'd go with Slayton to answer your question. But when you look at Evan Ingram, Caden Smith also, I thought, did a nice job filling in for Evan as a two-way tight end. And Saquon, Saquon, you figure, is going to catch passes this season. I think if this offense truly is clicking, then it's not going to be one home run guy. It's going to be Daniel Jones taking what the defense gives him and being that equal opportunist. That, to me, is the most effective sign of this Giants offense being dangerous. If it does lean at the end of the year, when we all sit down and look at the stats, if it leans heavily towards one guy, unfortunately, I think that's because they were hit by injuries or the defense is basically saying, guys, go there because we're just going to take everybody else away from Daniel Jones. I like that analysis you brought up there, Lance. I actually have another question about the wide receivers. Now, obviously, there's a lot of young depth at the back end of this position. We know we've seen guys like Sills, Benjamin Victor, Austin Mack, all those guys. Uh, What excites you the most about this wide receiver competition? And who do you think has impressed? Because I know I've heard a lot about, you know, guys are stealing reps and whatnot. So it's definitely very interesting to uh, just listen to all the podcasts you guys are doing and kind of just break that down and let it sink in as who's standing out. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I think the wide receiver depth chart is exciting and encouraging to see what the Giants could be working with. One name you didn't throw out, and I want to start there, Corey Coleman. I think Corey Coleman is an X factor this season. I was very high on him, guys, entering last season. I thought when they brought him over from New England, he was on the practice squad in eighteen. Then he was called up to the active roster. If you recall, in that 18 season, he flashed a little. Eli utilized him as a vertical threat. He made plays. Was he consistent? Was he a wow me guy? No. But you saw something in a player that was a former first-round pick. That was encouraging. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL on the very first day of training camp. He was not an option. He spent all of last season on IR. He's now back. And I actually saw him today at the team's final scrimmage, and he probably had the play of the scrimmage where he hauled in about a 30-yard pass up the left sideline. And granted, it was against the second stringers, okay? I'm not here for the hyperbole. I'm not here to crown anybody, okay? It's just the facts of the situation. 
he's looked good in terms of his speed, in terms of him tapping back into the player that I saw with the Cleveland Browns when he was a first-round pick out of Baylor and somebody who, unfortunately, has been held back because of injury. So I want to start there, and I wanted to emphasize that name, not to avoid some of the other players you threw out, but Coleman, to me, that's the number four guy. Okay, the depth chart starts there. And if you have Coleman healthy, now I think you have some options. If, God forbid, one of those top three guys get hurt, you could do far worse than Corey Coleman is the first guy up because he's had plenty of experience. Beyond Corey Coleman, Austin Matthew brought up, he's one of the undrafted rookies out of Ohio State, along with Benjamin Victor. Victor is more of the tall, long guy that was a red zone target at Ohio State. I was very excited to see what he could do with the Giants because Victor has the body that no other wide receiver on this roster has. That tall guy that you could just throw it up and it'll win the jump balls. Mack is more of the all-around wide receiver, possession wide receiver, can do a little bit of everything. I think he's probably been the most impressive wideout in camp. He can run pretty much the entire route tree. You can tell he comes from a prominent program, and I think that we got a glimpse of that through camp. You brought up David Sills. David Sills is an athlete. Sills, remember, is a former quarterback out of West Virginia. He was a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award for the top wide receiver in college football. And he's also somebody that's on the Giants practice squad. He's looked good. Then you look at Alex Bachman, somebody that's been on the Rams practice squad, the Giants practice squad. He's also had a very impressive camp. So those three guys, I think, have been pushing one another. I would probably put all of them at the top of the list. But guys, as you well know, who's going to make the roster is going to be determined based on what they could do on special teams. And Cody Core got hurt. He's out for the season, unfortunately, with the torn Achilles. He was a wide receiver, but he was a tremendous gunner. Who out of this group can hustle down the field, can make tackles, can be a return guy? That's going to determine who solidifies that fifth or that sixth wide receiver spot. And I think they've all had their hands in that. Have they jumped out? Without a preseason game, it's hard to say that somebody looks really good on special teams because you really need those game-simulated reps. But I think it's neck and neck with those three. I think they've all made very strong impressions. And let's put it this way. Whoever doesn't make the roster is going to have a good shot to come back to the practice squad. With 16 guys, the Giants are at least going to have flexibility to maintain continuity and call somebody up in a pinch if there is an injury. Now, Lance, you brought up the fact there of injuries in which they play upon players and a guy that comes to my mind who's been struck by the injury bug ever since his, even his rookie season when he got brought onto the team in 2017, Evan Ingram, I'm alluding to. He's in a contract year now. He's never started more than 11 games in a season. Do you think that the Giants move on from after this year in favor of a guy in Caden Smith who was a, almost in a sense of diamond in the rough towards the end of last season and potentially if Ingram's out of the lineup or is Ingram the guy for the future that this New York Giants team will have? Well, they picked up Evan's fifth-year option. So when you think about the fact that he was a first-round pick in 2017, this is going to be year four, and then 2021 is going to be the fifth-year option. So the fact that they've already exercised the option, I'd be surprised if they move on from Evan because there's still a lot of upside, which you alluded to. He's not a tight end. He's that versatile, big, wide receiver that has the ability to move to tight end. You can line up Evan as a wide receiver, and you could say to a safety in a corner, go out and defend him. Good luck. And Evan's going to have an edge in terms of the speed and also the size. We've seen that. 
last season, first five games, I think everybody would tell you they loved what they saw out of Evan. Then the problem is the injury bug struck. That's been the story. The upside's always been there. The appeal has always been there. And then whoever is holding the Evan Ingram voodoo doll, for any of your listeners and viewers, time to put it down. You've had your fun, guys and gals, okay? Let somebody else get a hold of the doll, okay? Can you give this guy a break? It's unfortunate in all seriousness. But no, to answer your question, I'd be very surprised if they're going to move on from him. You brought up Caden Smith, and Caden Smith was impressive, as I referenced earlier. But is Caden Smith Evan Ingram? No. Caden Smith is a really good blocker. And Caden Smith, I think, proved that he could go out there and be a reliable target in the passing game. Can he get five catches for 75 yards? No doubt about it. Does he have the same vertical stretch of the field that Evan brings to the table? No. I think there's a difference in terms of the skill set. They're much stronger as a group than saying we're going to move on from one and we're just going to hope that Caden Smith is our number one guy. I think the Giants are far more dangerous in having both on the roster. Would they maybe not be in a rush to give him an extension? I could see that. But the fact that he's under contract with the fifth-year option means that they really are not in an urgency maneuver right now to say that we've got to lock him up long term. They can play it by ear. They can feel it out into next offseason and then see how things pan out in 2021. But there's too much versity and too much youth still with Evan Ingram that I don't think it would make sense to bail on him so quickly. I think given the fact that he's still on a rookie deal, the whole thing with the Giants is, right, because of some of their issues with draft history and not having guys that warrant second contracts, there's no reason why they can't buy a little bit more time with him. Now, Lance, we look at the offensive line, and they drafted Andrew Thomas fourth overall, and there's been a lot of competition for specifically the center and even the right tackle position. Um, Where do you think Andrew Thomas needs the most improvement to be that guy at left tackle, and how's the center um, position battle going between Pulley and Gates? Well, let's start with Andrew Thomas. I would say in terms of improvement, he'd be the first one to admit It's really the hand placement because you're going up against such elite pass rushers in the NFL. Not to say that he wasn't tested in the SEC. Of course, he was tested on a consistent basis. But the technique is a little bit different in terms of Mark Colombo is teaching him the offensive line coach for the Giants. So, you know, that's probably where the improvement is going to have to come along the way. And also just get a better read on the defenders that you're going to be seeing on a consistent basis. Because in the SEC, you don't have the luxury to go up against everybody two times within your division, right? In the NFC East, he's going to play the Cowboys twice. He's going to play the Washington football team twice. He's going to play the Eagles twice. So you go up against them the first time. What you showed them, those defensive linemen, they're going to remember. Now it's about the game of chess. How can you adjust? So that to me is, I think, the growing pains that he's going to have to ride out over the course of the season. And of course, the speed of this game, the unfortunate side of things for any rookie, but specifically ones in the trenches is no preseason games. You know, we could sit here and debate for hours till we're blue in the face guys. Well, preseason games are boring and we don't need them. Well, I think you're going to learn this year. There's a lot of value to preseason games, specifically for the young guys, the ones who are battling for those bubble spots on the roster. And of course, your high first-round picks who are going to be battle-tested immediately. The Steelers are coming week one. You know who Pittsburgh's going to present? They're going to present Bud Dupree on one side, and they're going to present T.J. Wan on the other side. Those two guys combined for over 25 sacks last season, guys. The team, Pittsburgh, 
had 54 sacks, number one in the NFL. They're bringing back 46 and a half of those sacks. Hey, statistics don't tell the whole story, but they tell an awful lot, okay? This is the real deal. We're going to learn a lot about this Giants offensive line in the early stages of the season because after Pittsburgh, you get the Bears with Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, and you get San Francisco with Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead. I'm not trying to scare Giants fans. This is just the reality of the circumstances. Now, as far as the center competition is concerned, Nick Gates, who you referenced, they've moved him over to center after playing right guard and right tackle. He's somebody that's extremely versatile, but in fairness, he's never played a snap at center in a regular season game, whether it be at college or the NFL. He's had practice reps, never been in a game. Then, of course, you have Spencer Pulley, who's been a little bit banged up over the last few days of training camp. He's been sidelined. They also have Tyler Haycraft, undrafted rookie out of Louisville, who they brought in. He also is another one who's been getting center snaps, but was a tackle at Louisville. So just like Nick Gates, you're moving him there. You haven't seen a game. And then look at what happened 24 hours ago. They brought back a familiar face in John Jalapio, who was the starting center, 15 of the 16 games last season. He also has ties to Joe Judge because he was with New England, a little bit far removed from those days in 14 and 16. But he clearly has more experience with Spencer Pulley than the other two. Gates has looked good, and I think Gates has handled his business, all things considered. No preseason games. I think he's dramatically improved. I think he's getting more and more comfortable as things play out. I think the Giants would have value if they hold on to at least two of those guys and two of the guys that have the ability to play multiple positions. Here's the encouraging sign. Jalapio can play center and guard. Pulley can play center and guard. Gates can play guard, tackle, and center. So if you keep all three of them, and let's say maybe you have one on the practice squad, because remember, six spots on the practice squad have no limit on accrued seasons, meaning you could put a guy with 10 years' experience, he can go on your practice squad, assuming, of course, he's not going to be claimed by another team. As far as who has an edge, Joe Judge, when he spoke to the media recently, he said it's really neck and neck between Pulley and Gates. Now, he said that about five days ago. That was before Jalapio came into things. Jalapio is going to probably enter the regular season without any training camp practices, even though he's played center and he would line up against two guards that he's certainly familiar with in terms of Hernandez and Zeitler. It's a new scheme. So if you ask me right now, if Jalapio makes the roster, would I be surprised if he's the starter week one? Yes, I'd be very surprised. Even though he has the experience, he has yet to play in this scheme. It doesn't really matter what he did last season. The starting center is going to be Nick Gates or Spencer Pulley. The question becomes, how many guys of those three do they keep versus the practice squad? And right now, I think that's up in the air. I, I think they brought back Jalapio for a reason. I think they believe he's fully healthy. And I would say the chances of him making the roster are pretty high. Pulley right now is a bit of a wild card because he's not fully healthy and has missed some practice time. So that's the one name to monitor, I think, here moving forward. Lance, switching gears into the defensive side of the ball, how does Lorenzo Carter look as a pass rusher heading into the 2020 season? And is he ultimately the front runner to start opposite of Marcus Golden? Yeah, he's absolutely the front runner. And this is a huge year for him. We talk about X Factor on offense. Evan Ingram, we brought up guys. I talked about Corey Coleman. You want to pick a guy on the defensive side of the ball? It's Lorenzo Carter. This is year three. This is show me time. 
Now, there's going to be also another defensive scheme in a very small sample size of seasons that he's going to have to adjust to and learn. You're talking about Georgia in 2017, then James Betcher each of the last two seasons, and now all of a sudden you're throwing Patrick Graham's scheme. I'm not making excuses, but just like Daniel Jones, you can't overlook that. That's a lot for a player to have to deal with in a very short period of time. But Cotter, he has looked very good in camp. He looked really good in the scrimmage. Now, do I crown individuals based on how they look in scrimmages and practices? No, because they are going up against their teammates. And you get used to a teammate, right? When you go up against a teammate in practice, you get to know the ins and outs of the offensive linemen. The true test for all these players we're talking about, specifically Lorenzo Carter, is when he goes up against the Steelers' offensive line, when he goes up against the Bears, what does he do? Then I think we're going to see, okay, what we're shown in the course of training camp practices and the scrimmages is translating over. But right now, so far, so good. He certainly looked good. He's looked quick. He's got a burst to him. I think he's got all the motivation in the world to prove that the Giants have internal candidates to help their pass rush. But I can't think of a better opportunity for Lorenzo Carter to go out there and show consistently that he's the guy. Because Marcus Golden came back, and Golden had 10 sacks last season. And Golden, I think, showed that that torn ACL is behind him, that he suffered in Arizona a few years ago. Because now, all of a sudden, he's more than two years removed. But any good team in the NFL, we were talking about the Steelers, we were talking about the Bears, we were talking about the Niners. What do all three of those teams have in common? They've got multiple pass rushers, right? You don't have to worry about one guy, you got to worry about another guy. Well, I always use the Batman-Robin comparison. Every team's got Batman, Khalil Mack. You want Robin, right? You want Robert Quinn. Well, the Giants... I don't even know if they have Batman. I don't even know if I would say Marcus Golden's Batman. I like Marcus Golden a lot. I loved what he did last season. I think he's a relentless player. He's a great guy. And I hope that he can piggyback off of what he did last season. Does he alone put fear in the eyes of the opposition guys? Are they double teaming him? Are they worried about losing one-on-one battles? I don't know about that. Khalil Mack gets double teamed. You're worried about Khalil Mack disrupting a game. So if Marcus Golden is Batman, let's go with that hypothetical. The Giants need Robin this season. Lorenzo Carter, he's got a great opportunity to be Robin. Kyler Fackrell, great opportunity to be Robin. So it's show me time for Lorenzo Carter. The early results are encouraging. Now he's got to transfer that over to the regular season. So, Lance, just a few more on the defense here. Blake Martinez, free agent acquisition, tackling machine in Green Bay. Obviously, there's familiarity. He played under Patrick Graham, like Fackrell in Green Bay. What do you expect from him as a leader uh, in the middle of that defense? Well, I think Martinez has assumed that very role because he's right in the middle of the defense. He's going to be the eyes and ears of Patrick Graham. He's going to be the conduit for Patrick Graham on the field to set the defense, get everybody in line. And also, you brought up Green Bay, and you're right. Patrick Graham was the linebackers coach for the interior guys in 2018. He wasn't the defensive coordinator. It was Mike Pettin's scheme. But Graham did work with Martinez, and Fackrell was on the roster. And if you go and ask Blake Martinez, well, what was your role in Green Bay? He'd say, I'm the cleanup guy. I was the guy. The reason why he had so many tackles is they asked me to be that second layer of defense. Meaning when the front guys can't make the stop, I'm there to plug the holes. Do I think he's going to have the same exact role with the Giants? No, I think they'll maybe mix and match him a little bit, maybe throw him out in coverage here or there, depending on who they go up against on a weekly basis. But 
I think you hit it right in the nose. I think the leadership value can't go overlooked. They can't go unnoticed. When you think about Giants defenses of the past, guys, you think of Antonio Pierce, right? You think of that middle linebacker who was the voice of the defense, got everybody set. And they've had Alec Ogletree in years past. And they've had another few players that have assumed that role. Unfortunately, a lot of these guys have not been able to stay healthy. John Beeson, for example, is somebody who they had, but once again, got struck by the injury bug. Martinez has been durable, and he's been a consistent tackler in his early seasons with Green Bay. So, you know, you need that cleanup guy. You need that glue guy in the middle of your defense. I think that's going to be the role he assumes with the Giants. I think the question I have for Blake Martinez is how much is he going to be on the field for third down passing situations? Are they going to mix and match things? Are they going to utilize three safeties? Are they going to utilize other linebackers who they feel maybe have a little bit more versatility? That's something to monitor here moving forward. But as far as a player that could come in, help stop the run and be that communicator, which, you know, at times has been an issue for the Giants. I think that to me is probably the biggest value that he's going to bring to the table so far in the early goings of this season. I agree with you 100%. It'll be interesting how he pairs up with Ryan Connolly inside if that happens to be the week one starter next to him, depending on his health. Um, just a reminder, folks, as we reach the top of the hour, Tom Scavetta, Kyle Russo, with our very special guest here tonight, Lance Meadow of the New York Football Giants, WFAN radio host and host of the Big Blue Kickoff podcast on Giants.com. And uh, Kyle, I think we're up to you now. Yeah, Lance, rookie Darnay Holmes was drafted as a potential slot corner option, and the team obviously signed a guy, uh, a veteran, I guess you could say, per se, in Logan Ryan earlier this week. There's a lot of moving parts now in the secondary, but is it a shoo-in now that the signing of Logan Ryan, an established cornerback in this league, is he going to get that starting cornerback position alongside with newly acquired James Bradbury? Well, Ryan has the versatility in terms of playing corner and safety. So, you know, that's where his true value is, which means Patrick Graham, getting back to your question about who's in line to have a starting job, he could play him in either of the positions. Remember, a name we haven't brought up, by the way, Xavier McKinney is out indefinitely right now because of the fractured foot. Now, if you look at the safety position, I would say Jabril Peppers is one guy. Julian Love is another guy. You can also move Julian Love to corner. He's interchangeable, just like Logan Ryan. So does Patrick Graham say to himself, based on what the Steelers are going to throw out there in week one, I like Julian Love at safety, and I think Logan Ryan is good in the slot. I think that could very well be an option. Or maybe he says, I want Logan Ryan to be safety. I want Julian Love to be in the slot. He has the ability to mix and match those players. Now, Darnay Holmes can play outside, which we saw at UCLA, and they've been utilizing him inside, of course, throughout the course of training camp practices and scrimmages. So they're training him, they're cross-training him to move inside and outside. I don't know necessarily where Patrick Graham is leaning on, especially heading into week one, because here's the other thing, guys. While Logan Ryan was in New England with Joe Judge and Patrick Graham, he hasn't been in camp. The entire offseason, I brought up John Jalapio, and Jalapio's a veteran, and Jalapio was with the Giants, but he hasn't been in the scheme, and it's going to take a few practices or so to get caught up. He also has to go through COVID-19 protocols. That's why Logan Ryan actually was not taking part in the team scrimmage because he has yet to rejoin the team. 
because of all the rules and regulations in place. It's not necessarily a setback. It's just this is what you have to follow when you bring in a new face. So his probably his first practice with the team is not going to be until Monday when they get back on the field and they start preparing for the Steelers. Can he get acclimated in time to go out there against the Steelers the following Monday? Absolutely. But how big of a role would he play then? That remains to be seen. When it's all said and done, though, because your question was big picture perspective for the season, absolutely. Logan Ryan, I think, is going to be a starter. I think he's proven that, once again, he can be moved around. He also is coming off a career year with Tennessee. He had a career high in sacks, career high in quarterback hits, career high in tackles, very effective in solo tackling. You name it, he did it. He put a stamp on this team, and I think he's going to be another veteran voice to set the tone. If Blake Martinez is the middle guy, Logan Ryan could be the guy on the back end. He, Jabril Peppers, Julian Love, James Bradbury, and Darnay Holmes, I think are going to be your five main guys. I didn't mention Corey Ballantyne. I'm not saying that he's not going to be in the mix, but I think Ballantyne, they're moving along slowly, and I think they want to see a little bit more out of him in terms of what he could bring to the table and what may be his ideal fit within this system as opposed to a defined role. So while there's going to be movable parts, guys, in that secondary, because there's a young, not necessarily battle-tested secondary, but those five guys in particular, I think those are going to be the main ones with some of the young guys having an opportunity to carve out roles as the season plays out. And Lance, you actually just answered my next question. I was going to ask you who steps up in McKinney's absence. Uh, So I personally agree with you. I think it's going to be Love and Peppers as the safeties because Love spent some time at one of the safety positions last year. And I know, I think Kyle interviewed Paul Schwartz. There's been a lot of talk about Darnay Holmes potentially starting opposite Bradbury. And now you bring up Logan Ryan in the slot. I think it's definitely a group that's going to need some time together for sure. But I'm really excited to see how the secondary performs this year. Um, On special teams, Lance, the Giants bring in Catanzaro for a little bit. They release him, and now they bring in kicker Graham Gano, ex-Carolina Panther, just a couple weeks ago. He's been very automatic so far uh, since arriving, but what have you seen from him that sticks out the most? Well, I think it's his leg strength. I think that's the first thing that comes to mind with Graham Gano. The numbers don't lie. He's got a booming leg. He's also kicked outdoors, which I think is really good in terms of his time with Carolina. He has ties to Thomas McGahee the special teams coordinator for the Giants. They were together in Carolina. So the familiarity, I think, is the icing on the cake, but it's the leg. The leg strength is something you want out of any kicker. And you also want, because of the wins at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, you want somebody that's comfortable dealing with those elements and also dealing with the unknown that comes into play in East Rutherford, New Jersey on a weekly basis. So he certainly gets check marks from that department. I also think he's kicked on the biggest level for many, many years in the NFL, and the stage doesn't get to him. Remember, this may hurt Giants fans. It was Graham Gano that hit a game winner against the Giants not too long ago. I could see the facial expressions out of the two of you, so you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, we're not trying to put both in the wounds here. Say that again? 63-yard heartbreaker. There you go. Yes. And remember, that was a trend because Jake Elliott of the Eagles also – had a lengthy game winner, if you remember, in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's definitely interesting to have Gano here now. Um, so, Lance, one final question on the special teams, and then we'll wrap this up soon. Uh, Casey Kreider, an ex-Pro Bowl long snapper in 2018, was picked up in the offseason by Dave Gettleman. Mm-hmm. 
after Diossi, uh, well, before Diossi retired, because uh, he just officially announced it a little while ago. What do you expect from him and Riley Dixon, considering their past experience as teammates in Denver? Well, I, I think that that's a key point that you brought up. Continuity, I think, holds true across the board for any roster this season. When you have players on your team that already have experience lining up with one another, and you know that you didn't have a full spring, you didn't have OTAs, you didn't have preseason games, I mean, that right there gives any team a significant edge. So the fact that you've got your punter and your long snapper have been together with one another, that's only going to help the smooth transition to the regular season. I guess the benefit maybe for punters, kickers, long snappers is the fact that you know they technically practice social distancing as it is based on the setup and the logistics of special teams. So they can get away with not having to worry about a structured practice because they can go off on their own in their own setting and handle business. But, you know, that to me is something that should not be overlooked as you brought up. As far as what you expect, well, you know, Zach Diossi was a mainstay for the Giants. You penciled him in. You knew what to expect out of him because they didn't really have to worry about knock on wood him getting hurt until the latter stages of his career. And, you know, he had such a good handle and a good read on the system. The fact that Kreider's been with the team for the Zoom meetings, he has good relationships with Riley Dixon. Now he's getting to know Graham Gano, obviously, a little bit better. The fact that Gano just arrived. The good news is they're going to have some time before the regular season starts, I think, to get down the nuances of the snap and the field goal. You take sometimes those things for granted. So, you know, that I think is going to benefit them that maybe they have, you know, a few weeks before they actually have to do it for real in a live setting. Gano's look good in the scrimmages. So I think already they're pretty much having a good feel for one another. But, you know, when you ask what do you expect out of the long snapper, I think maybe my question is going to be boring and basic. You expect them to be able to snap the ball cleanly. You basically, to answer your question bluntly, you expect them not to be noticed. Let's be honest. How many times did you notice Zach Diossi? You noticed him maybe in the latter stage of his career, a bad snap here or there, okay? And sometimes that comes with age. But you don't want to hear about the long snapper this season. Guys, if we're talking about the long snapper – then I'd say there's a problem. There's an issue. So as long as we're not talking about him and everything is smooth and he's not hurt and they don't have to worry about a replacement, I think that's a job done well by special teams this season. Lance, I think the last time we talked about a Giants long snapper, realistically, for not the best of reasons, was Trey <laughs> Junkin 18 I knew years you, ago. <laughs> absolutely. I knew exactly where you were going to go with that Niners yeah. playoff game. Yeah, no, that's you're very right. Right when I first started watching full-time, so that's definitely uh, very interesting. I know you brought up uh, you know, some names to look uh, for cut-down day coming up, so it's definitely going to be very interesting to see how this pans out. On behalf of Kyle and myself, we just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time out of your night to speak with us, talk some New York football giants. You know, We love doing it on the show. We're actually we're about to make our uh, 53-man roster pr- uh, prediction on the show after we sign off with you. So we definitely appreciate the insight. Very nice. Well, listen, guys, it was a pleasure talking Giants football with you. Had a blast. Thanks so much for inviting me on the program. And anytime you want me back, be more than happy to join you. Appreciate it. Definitely, definitely appreciate it, Lance. Have a good night. My pleasure. Take care, guys. You too. All right. So that was Lance Meadow. Wow. Uh, great. Yeah, he, uh, he, he really hit home on a lot of the points that I really wanted to address tonight with the viewers here on Facebook Live. Uh, he's the New York Giants WFAN radio host. Kyle, what did you think personally? 
It was fantastic. He, he gave us some true, real insight on what to expect upon the season and a lot of surprising commentary as well, you know, from what this Giants roster can come out to look like, you know, having that insight, being there, watching what's happening on the field, uh, being with the team, knowing what's going to happen within the next week and a half, the matchups in which this team could face up against in the future. It's going to be very interesting. And the insight in which he just provided to us is, is fantastic. It really is. So folks, if you didn't just see me switch it right below us on the banner coming up next, our New York giants, 53 man roster projection before we get, before we get there, uh, Tommy, the Mac McNamara says awesome interview, former co-host of review and preview. Go follow us at review and preview sports. We'll bring you all types of content, not just giants. Uh, Wednesday, seven to nine, we bring you everything. And Sean Militello from JDF sports just said JD, uh, Jadavion Clowney to the saints. It's a done deal. Wow. So, wow. That, that's huge. Because that, yesterday we saw Leonard Fournette sign with the Bucks, and now the Saints just one-upped them. So You got now Cam Jordan on one end, Jadavian Clowney, Sheldon Rankins in the middle, and Marcus Davenport as well on that defensive front for the New Orleans Saints. That's some scary defensive line right there. I got to tell you, that is definitely a scary defensive line. But all right, folks. The excitement is still here at this time. We, uh, me and Kyle, we're actually going to reveal to you our 53-man roster predictions. If you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about them, feel free to comment in the stream. We'll get back to you. Don't be shy. We're very friendly. Uh, So without further ado, uh, Kyle, would you like to go first? Yes, sir. We'll start with mine first. So I'm going to start off, obviously, with the QB scenario, and I have three QBs making this team, Daniel Jones, Colt McCoy, and Cooper Rush. Daniel Jones, obviously, is going to be the starter, hopefully, for a very, very long time to come. Colt McCoy is going to be the backup for this team. We saw them acquire that him in the offseason. I believe he had a couple stints. He had a stint with Washington to start his career off. Then, I believe, was with the Philadelphia Eagles last season, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I believe he started some games, not with the Eagles, but with Washington and did look impressive under Jay Gruden and his time there. And then Cooper Rush, you know, acquiring Jason Garrett. I think this this guy is going to make the team, especially carrying three quarterbacks at that position cannot hurt the team. As we've seen in the past, the Giants have usually carried around two quarterbacks last season. They carried three. They carried um, obviously Eli Manning, Daniel Jones at the number two. And then Alex Tanney. Alex Tanney actually left off my list this year just based on the acquisition of Cooper Rush, who I think they brought into this team, especially having Jason Garrett there running the offense. So those are my three quarterbacks that I expect to make the final 53-man roster. Like it. Um, All right. So for me, for my quarterbacks, we're going to do this position by position, folks. Uh, The three quarterbacks I have are the exact same people. Uh, Nothing really – much more to talk about except for the fact that Lance Meadow brought up in our interview. Daniel Jones had an excellent touchdown to interception ratio last year. He was sacked 38 times though and fumbled a lot. So he looks to improve in those areas. Colt McCoy is a solid backup. Alex Tanney could potentially finally be the odd person out on this team. So we'll see, but it just seems the last couple of years he continues to stick around even after Walletta had that amazing drive in the final preseason game to Alonzo Russell. Yeah. All right, Kyle. So we will now get to the running backs. So that is including any potential fullbacks that might make this roster. So for my running backs slash fullback selection, those are my running backs and fullbacks. So obviously, listen, Saquon Barkley is making this team. There's no doubt at all. 
like Lance alluded to, especially acquiring a guy in Jason Garrett to run this offense. We saw how he fed Zeke Elliott the ball for many, many years, four years, I believe, while he was in Dallas. They're saying that's the type of system that they may potentially run with this Giants team in the future. Saquon Barkley absolutely making this team. Backup running back now in Deion Lewis had a stint with Tennessee Titans the past couple seasons. Super Bowl champion over with the New England Patriots. Had a fantastic year, uh, had a fantastic couple years stints with the Patriots. Put together some great seasons. Uh, I believe had the game-winning Super Bowl touchdown in one of those uh, Super Bowls with the Patriots as well. He's going to be the backup running back for this team. Wayne Goldman, my third running back on this roster. I sadly think that he does get forced down uh, to that third running back position, as Lance alluded to. Just not really finding his place with this team, kind of being the guy left out. I, I think that definitely does happen in the season, especially acquiring Deion Lewis. But we did see Wayne Goldman last year when he had the two starts, um, when he had a couple starts actually in placement of Saquon Barkley, specifically his first one. He went off in, I believe it was the game against the Cardinals in which he played where he went off in that game, Wayne Goldman. So you saw what he could potentially do at the starting position. Nice to have him and potentially call him your solid third running back on the team. And Elijah Penny, the Giants are old school. They like running the fullback system, keeping him on this roster. I believe this would now be his second or third year with the team. Uh, I believe he's definitely going to be on this roster as well come 53-man day cut. So mine, surprise, surprise, it's exactly the same. Don't worry, we don't have the same thing the whole way through. Uh, I have the same four players. I think it's pivotal that Barkley continues to pick up where he left off two years ago. I know he still had 1,000 yards last year, but last year he definitely struggled coming off that Pro Bowl performance. Many expect him to claim the top running back spot in the NFL in year three. Deion Lewis, as Lance mentioned, nice change of pace back that can protect I think you can teach Barkley how to better pass protect. You know, everybody comes into your life as a reason. And sometimes Deion Lewis, uh, well, not sometimes, but Deion Lewis is going to leave an impact on Bar- um, Saquon Barkley as a blocker. And he's also a weapon in the passing game. We saw that in a couple of the blue-white scrimmages. And then Wayne Gallman, who's actually the longest tenured running back on this roster. Everyone forgets Gallman was actually drafted the year before Barkley. So he's a year older than him. And another thing, too, the Giants cut Javon Leak, undrafted rookie, I believe, out of Maryland. Why was Leak cut? Because Wayne Gallman excelled in the first scrimmage. Wayne Gallman was fantastic, and he pretty much, you know, that made the team's decision. Elijah Penny is a blocker who will be utilized often in the I formation. Tevian uh, Feaster and Sandro Platzgummer do not make the cut. However, Platzgummer, European player who was drafted, he will will definitely stick around on the practice squad because he is protected. Now moving to this next selection of positional players, we got wide receivers, Tom. I know this is where the differences start to come amok, so I can't wait to have a little debate as I show my wide receiver core right now. So the trio in which we just were talking about, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, those three are definitely sticking. Sterling Shepard, uh, Sterling Shepard being the longest-tenured receiver now on the New York Giants. Longest-tenured player. Longest-tenured player. Look at that. Longest-tenured player now on the New York Giants with four years, I believe, underneath his belt out of Oklahoma. Sterling Shepard is impressed. Last year was, his, was one of the real seasons where you saw not that step up as a player, but the fear factor in which I believe he suffered three separate concussions uh, last season. Hopefully, knock on wood, that he's able to stay healthy because, as we've seen in years prior, when he's a healthy wide receiver, 
He's one of the best slot receivers in all of football, one of the most underrated receivers in all of football as well. Golden Tate there as well. Golden Tate was brought in last year on a four-year contract with the New York Football Giants. Golden Tate, an experienced player with the Seattle Seahawks, with the Detroit Lions, with the Philadelphia Eagles, and now with the New York Giants. Golden Tate is a great receiver who could give you potentially, as Lance was alluding to earlier, throwing the ball around, sharing the ball, which Daniel Jones will be expected to do, not necessarily pick a favorite. Golden Tate can come up very, very, very well for you as he is the most experienced wide receiver on this roster at this very point in time. Now Darius Slayton, in a sense, could potentially be the security blanket in which we saw for Daniel Jones and maybe the matchup in the future to watch, hopefully for the next decade or so, knock on wood on that as well. Darius Slayton finished off the season with seven touchdowns, I believe around 750 yards, had a fantastic, fantastic rookie outing, missed a bunch of games in the beginning of the season, so it's going to be very interesting to see what he brings to the table. Hopefully he's able to get through a full 16-game season. We'll see what happens there, but when we know that he's healthy and he's on the field, what he brings to the table. Now over to Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman was a guy who was brought in a few years ago, was unhealthy last year, tore his ACL in training camp. They're now bringing him back, which I'm very, very happy about, to potentially be that fourth receiver um, in this giant starting lineup or potential a punt punt, uh, returner or a kick returner, as we saw in which he played when he first came over to the Giants. That was one of their best options on special teams, uh, Corey Coleman, to return kicks, return punts for them. Could potentially be worked in in that placement as well. And now Benjamin Victor, undrafted rookie free agent out of Ohio State. One of the main reasons that I have him on this roster is he's the only receiver on this roster that is built as a lengthy receiver, big hands, tall guy, quick guy, agile guy as well. Had a decent season last season with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, played four years there. Can potentially bring that presence of seniority over to the New York Giants considering played the full four years at Ohio State under Urban Meyer, a uh, well-established coach as well. Um, Benjamin Victor, like Lance had alluded to earlier, is really the only receiver that has that type of body and length on this team that could potentially be that 50-50 guy for them in the long ball pass uh, selections of this offense in which we hope to see improve upon uh, now in year two under a newly acquired offensive coordinator in Jason Garrett. And then newly acquired Johnny Holton, uh, mostly going to be a special teams type of guy, as we saw in his days in uh, a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform. This is going to be a guy that also worked in the special teams, uh, positional type of player, whether it's kick returner, punt returner. He was a speedster with the Pittsburgh Steelers and potentially be worked in at that same position under the New York Giants organization as well. So those are my receivers. I like your receivers. I think all those guys are very worthy of making the roster, but mine are going to be a little bit different. I have one more receiver making it. I have seven total wide receivers making the roster. Golden Tate, he is currently day-to-day, had nearly 700 receiving yards last year and six TDs in just 10 games. Sterling Shepard, he has not had a 1,000-yard season since being in the NFL, which is kind of crazy. He's been in the league for four years now. He's also been hurt a lot. He played 14 games last year, started nine. Darius Slayton was a true blossomer last year for Daniel Jones. He led the team with eight touchdowns. Corey Coleman, you brought up a good point. Great kick returner when he first came. Notoriously, in Giants history, backup wide receivers are used as return men. Same thing for backup cornerbacks. We look at the past, look at guys like Chad Morton. We look at guys like R.W. McCorders, just guys like that. David Wilson as well. He, although he didn't last very long, but – 
I think Coleman is slated to be a top option there. David Sills is my sleeper here. You brought out Benjamin Victor's the only one with height. David Sills is 6'3", 6'4", on a good day. He's about an inch shorter than Victor. And David Sills, you have to remember something. He's a rep stealer. Every time a guy's slow to get to the line, Sills steps in and gets it. What else is on his resume that people may not know about David Sills? He played for West Virginia, James's favorite university, and he had 18 touchdown receptions from Will Greer as a junior and had 15 as a senior. That is 33 combined touchdown receptions over his final two years of college. Victor and Mack did not do that. Derek Dillon did not do that. Part of the reason why, though, is a lot of those guys uh, left a year early. But another thing I'm going to bring up about Sills, this is funny. He actually started his career at West Virginia as a receiver, then transferred to another college as a quarterback, and then came back to West Virginia for his final two seasons. So that's definitely very interesting. As Paul Dottino said, uh, he's the one who does the Big Blue Kickoff podcast with Lance Meadow on Giants.com. Uh, this is the deepest position on the team. You can mix and match and put probably a combination of nine different guys in here and say all of them are worthy of making this team. Uh, another guy I have is Austin Mack. I really like Austin Mack a lot. I think he does survive. I know he's a favorite of the Tino. He's a favorite of Schwartz. He's a favorite of Leonard as well. And I'm sure Lance Meadow loves him too. That's why he brought his name up in our interview tonight. I really like him. And Johnny Holton, this is very, very interesting because remember, Cody Kaur, Lost for the season with a torn, uh, I think a torn ACL, torn Achilles, something like that. He had one of those two. He was an ACL. Holton was a gunner for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? You're wondering, well, why would the Giants keep a guy they just signed last week? Why do me and Kyle have him on? For the sole fact that he knows the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jeff Eagles, former Giants Super Bowl punter, brought up a very good point over a, a podcast this week. The Giants have lost five of their top six special teams players from last year, including Dave Mayo, who will probably be back around week two or three for the team. Holton can play as a gunner in addition to Alex Bachman. I think Bachman and Holton are probably competing for a spot on this team. Bachman did not help his case today with a key drop. So that's going to be very interesting. Missing the cut at wide receiver. I have C.J. Board, although he's been very impressive. Derek Dillon out of LSU. Alex Bachman and Benjamin Victor, but I do think two of those three do make two of those four, pardon me, do make the practice squad. Potentially three. It really depends, Kyle, because COVID can really change the atmosphere of things. But uh, we'll get to the tight ends now. Well, first off, what do you think of my receivers? I like your receivers. I, I have no knock against them. I could see the David Sills uh, comparison due to athleticism and height as well. And just based on the fact that he did. He didn't have a reception, but he did play in two games last season. So he does, I guess you could say, on-field type experience in an NFL professional level over a guy in Benjamin Victor who did make my list um, over David Sills potentially due to the lengthy and comparison athleticism in which they both share. But I do like your list for sure at the wide receiver position. And now we will move into the tight ends in which I believe we have pretty much the same things. We have three – well, I have three tight ends making my list. Evan Ingram, really, he's the X factor in the season. He's the X factor in the season. We saw what type of potential in which he has over the course of these first three seasons in a New York Giants uniform, specifically working with Daniel Jones. The signature game almost of Evan Ingram's career, as far as I'm concerned, was that Tampa Bay game, which just so happened to be Daniel Jones' first start, as well as his first victory as the New York Giants quarterback, in which he had that, I believe, 75-yard touchdown run 
like Lance was alluding to, he's called a tight end. He's not really a tight end. A tight end is usually not this size, is bigger and bulkier up top. That's not Evan Ingram. He doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't. Bigger tight ends don't have this athleticism that Evan Ingram has. They don't have the speed that Evan Ingram has, doesn't have the hands that Evan Ingram has. Can't beat a guy off the line like Evan Ingram has that ability to do and outrun a cornerback in safety in the secondary. That's how special this type of guy could be in an offense that already has huge weapons in the in the trio of Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, and Sterling Shepard to add a guy in Evan Ingram and call him your tight end, but plays with a body and positional type of a receiver. This guy could be huge for this team down the line and hopefully knock on wood, you know, four seasons in now, has yet to be healthy for more than 11 games, will start, has yet to start more than 11 games in his professional NFL career. Hopefully that starts this season in his fourth season. Caden Smith, in which we also talked about. Caden Smith, like I alluded to earlier, was a diamond in the rough for the Giants last season. Evan Ingram went down, and this guy really progressed, you saw, throughout the season. Had really his big-time game in that week, I want to say week 16 game in Washington. Um, Big game, winded up getting, I believe he got the overtime touchdown, the game-winning touchdown in OT. He really became a, a great, solid tight end that can be reliable. Is he going to be that guy that can potentially, you know, put up these huge numbers that we see from other tight ends in the league in a Zach Ertz, a George Kittle, uh, a Travis Kelsey? No, but this guy is a reliable tight end who's a fantastic second option for the Giants. Again, God forbid Evan Ingram goes down. I'm happy to say that the Giants already have a qualified backup in Caden Smith. Also with the body in which he has, he could potentially improve upon that blocking aspect as we saw in a guy in Rhett Ellis in the past couple seasons who was recently released that Caden Smith can potentially bring to the table as well at that position. And another guy in Levine Toilolo, in which they brought over, had his career started off with the Atlanta Falcons, spent a year in Detroit, and then I believe was actually on the 49ers Super Bowl team of last year, and now being brought over to the Giants. Again, this is not going to be a guy that's going to get many receptions, maybe not many looks whatsoever, but can definitely be worked into offensive schemes to potentially become that that blocker, that pass blocker for the Giants, potentially in uh, route running potentially, maybe potentially a red zone target within the 10, 20 yard line. Um, but that's really all I see from offensive uh, production out of Levine Toilolo. But that's my three tight ends that are going to be making this Giants 53 man roster. I like it. I have the same thing. I'm going to leave this banner right up here. I have the same three. Ingram obviously has scored just three touchdowns in each of the last two seasons, but his athleticism and size, his ability to play. Uh, a, as a wide receiver as well is definitely key. That's a key component to his game. And then as Lance Meadow brought up earlier, they did keep his fifth-year option. So Ingram will be here next year as well. Uh, but he will be due for an extension in the, ne- in the near future as long as he can stay on that field. Caden Smith, three touchdowns in six games last year. We know what he can do. He gets you the five for 75 down the middle of the field. Levine Toliolo. Uh, Toy Lolo is basically here to block and replace Rhett Ellison. He's basically an extra fullback. You could implement him or Elijah Penny to help block the, uh, with that offensive line. Cade Smith as well for Saquon Barkley. So that's going to be interesting. Now the real question here is can a fourth tight end stick around on this roster? Could a guy like Garrett Dickerson potentially make it or an Eric Tomlinson? Uh, both players spent some time with a team last year. Garrett Dickerson, local kid. Product out of Bergen Catholic High School right across the river in New Jersey. 
Uh, shout out to my housemate, Kieran Morrissey, um, who went there as well. Uh, fun fact, he actually sat in front of Jab- Jabril Peppers in history class one year. I, I think I was telling you about that one day. You told me about that. Um, at, back at Don Bosco before he transferred. But anyway, um, I think the Giants carry three, not four. I think Dickerson has a chance to uh, crack it. He's definitely going to make the practice squad. I think they cut Tomlinson and they keep Dickerson around on the practice squad. That's just my opinion. Now we get to the real meat and potatoes here, the offensive line, the hog mollies, as GM Dave Gettleman likes to call them. Kyle? All right, so I got nine offensive linemen making this team, starting off with Andrew Thomas, who will now be smoothly transitioning into that college position that he had at Georgia for so many years. He will be playing left tackle for this New York Giants team as Nate Solder opts out of this year due to COVID circumstances. Uh, Andrew Thomas will start at this position, number four overall draft pick in this year's uh, previous draft. Andrew Thomas will be the starting left tackle for this New York Giants football team. Will Hernandez now in his, I want to say, third year as well uh, out of UTEP. Will Hernandez has been really the bright spot, this consistent member on the offensive line for the Giants since he's arrived to the New York Giants football organization, uh, starting at left guard for this New York Giants team. I think this is a shoo-in. Obviously, we'll make this team. There's no doubt about it, and we'll be one of those starting five. Spencer Pulley. Spencer Pulley is a question mark. You know, based off of these comments that we just heard from Lance, this is what I was talking uh, Lance, basically – what I was talking about, this insight in which he provided, you know, Spencer Pulley missing practices. Maybe this has to do with something for uh, bringing in John Jalapio potentially to be that center, that starting center. Maybe even the backup center if Nick Gates potentially becomes that starting center uh, with this starting five come this season. Then we go into Kevin Zeitler, who will be the right guard, starting right, a starting right guard for this New York Giants team. Last season or the season before that, I believe, with the Cleveland Browns, he was the number one uh, pass blocker, uh, go- number one pass blocking guard, according to Pro Football Focus, in the entire NFL. Kept up that stature last season. Hopefully does that again come second year uh, with the New York Giants. Then Cam Fleming, who will be the right tackle for this New York football Giants team, uh, come this season brought over from the Dallas Cowboys, I want to say. Uh, I'm yes. pretty sure yep. Dallas Cowboys. Dallas. Uh, yeah, I, I, New England, I think he played with first, then played with Dallas last season. Uh, from the Dallas Cowboys, he'll be the starting right tackle. Right tackle has been a revolving door for this New York Giants team for a long time. We, we, we saw uh, Chad Wheeler. We saw uh, the Mike Remmers experiment last season, which had its bright spots, had its, had its flaws, definitely. Hopefully Cam Fleming could potentially fill that void a little bit better than those other guys. As I alluded to earlier, Nick Gates, you know, potentially competing. I know he is a guard, but I know that they've been working him as center because that's been a lack uh, of position and player in which they have. He can potentially be competing for that center position, if not winning that starting job already. We're only a week and a half away from game one for the New York Giants. Monday, September 14th, I believe, matched up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That could potentially be the starting center for the New York Giants. That could potentially be the guy that's snapping the ball to Daniel Jones. Then Matt Pert, number three, uh, third round pick out of UConn uh, this past draft. Big guy, massive guy. I don't think that he's going to get any starts, maybe towards the end of the season, all dependent upon how Cameron Fleming plays at that right tackle position, as Matt Pert is a right tackle himself. All dependent on what Cam Fleming produces, on whether or not we see Matt Pert potentially get to the field. I think I said this uh, maybe earlier when we were having our draft shows, we were talking 
about the New York Giants draft and everything like that. I think that Matt Burke can potentially be a guy you give Cam Fleming four, six weeks to see what he's got. And then Matt Perk can potentially be that guy to be the starting right tackle for the remainder of the season based on where the Giants stand at that point in time. Shane Lemieux, another guy in which they drafted out of Oregon this year in the fifth round, I believe. He was a guard at Oregon, but as you know, uh, coming up to the draft, he was working out as a center snapping the ball. That could potentially be another option, potentially a third or second option uh, behind John Jalapio, behind Spencer Poley, behind Nick Gates, whoever really starts at this center position. Shane Lemieux is that versatile player who could fill in at the guard position or potentially start at the center position as well. And then, like I alluded to earlier, John Jalapio, who was recently signed, I believe it was yesterday or the day before that, um, a guy who started with the New York Giants last season, a guy who got hurt the, the season prior for basically the entirety of the season. The thing is, is that he has starting reps on this team. Tom, you were saying it earlier how uh, before the show, how it may not be that the Giants don't have faith in Spencer Pulley or Nick Gates at this starting center position, but knowing that now John Jalapio is fully healthy, it may be an insurance uh, for them as well to potentially have that guy to maybe even potentially start the season. Again, he hasn't had those reps. He hasn't been with the team. He has not been practicing at all. This can potentially be a guy, again, where you see Nick Gates or Spencer Pulley or one of these guys winning the starting position at the center position give him about four, six weeks, and then work a guy potentially in John Jalapio back into the system depending on their progress and what they did in uh, in their week starting, knowing that John Jalapio has already started for this New York Giants team two seasons in a row. Interesting analysis, especially about Jalapio, because there's a chance. Remember, Lance brought this up too, and we researched it this week. Six of the 16 practice squad slots – are for players who are past three years of experience. You can put any player on there, but you have the option to keep players who have been in the league for longer than three years. Jalapio would qualify, especially if he's not ready. So for my offensive line, I have the same nine, but I have a little bit of a different mindset here. I have Andrew Thomas starting at left tackle. Excellent pick at number four overall. Loved it. Um, Will Hernandez is really, um, he's probably has the biggest upside amongst all these offensive linemen at left guard. I have Nick Gates starting at center right now because I'm not too sure about Spencer Pulley's health. And with the signing of Jalapio, I'm not 100% sure Pulley makes the roster. Why? If the Giants cut him, they will save over $2.5 million. They, were, they will be able to clear some money. I Personally, I want Spencer Pulley to stay on this roster, and I think he will. I think if we had to make a decision right now who's starting at center, it would probably be Pulley because Nick Gates has never played a game in the NFL at center. If anything, put Pulley at center and Nick Gates at right tackle since Cam Fleming's been kind of uh, off. But personally, I would like to see Gates at center and Cam Fleming at right tackle and then eventually Matt Pert step in after Fleming, you know, hopefully not sure if he'll be back after a year or so. But these are my offensive linemen here. Kevin Zeitler right now is the best one on the roster. Uh, Matt Pert's going to be very interesting to follow and watch. Shane Lemieux will be a swing guard type of uh, guy. A lot of people thought he might get some looks at center, but in fact it's been Tyler Hike, uh, Haycraft inst- instead, the undrafted rookie out of Louisville who played across the line from Makai Beckton, who was drafted by the Jets. I think Haycraft is making a really late push with this roster spot. And if he's proven he could stand his ground at center, 
we may not see Spencer Pulley for too much longer. It's definitely going to be very interesting. I'm really shocked Jalapio is back. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but it is what it is. He's a depth piece. He has experience. Daniel Jones also did take majority of the snaps from Jalapio last year. Do the Giants really need him? And does Pulley stick? I do think Pulley sticks. I don't think the Giants need Jalapio. It's very interesting because before they signed him, I had Kyle Murphy making the roster as the ninth offensive lineman, the undrafted rookie free agent out of Rhode Island. Why? He was the highest paid undrafted rookie, the highest paid undrafted rookie. And he's basically making the most money out of all of them. So I think he misses the cut, but gets back on the practice squad. I think Haycraft misses the cut and gets on the practice squad. And I think they say goodbye for good uh, to two veterans in Chad Slade and Eric Smith. I think they're both goners and do not come back to the practice squad. So those four will get cut. I have Haycraft and Murphy sticking around on the P squad. I'd have to agree completely. I, I know with the submission of these 53-man rosters, I just got into um, sent it earlier today because the New York Giants, they've been making some moves. They've been active, so I've had readjusted a few times over the course of the last week and a half. But moving on into the defensive side of the start of the defensive linemen. So these are my six defensive linemen that I project will be making the 53-man roster. Off with Dexter Lawrence, Big Dex, Number 17th overall pick at Clemson last year. Knocked the pick a little bit because I didn't know the Giants needed that type of interior defensive lineman. I believe they needed more of an edge rusher, but had a fantastic rookie outing. One of the few bright spots on this defense last year was the defensive line. He was a major factor to the success in which they had stopping the run. Also, also getting to the quarterback as well. Um, Dexter Lawrence. My next guy, Leonard Williams, the Giants are invested in this guy. They, they traded away a third-round pick last year and a fifth-round pick, picking up the franchise tag this year, which I believe is $16 million. I want to say something around those lines. Uh, Leonard Williams, hopefully in a new defensive scheme, can be that guy that we saw. You know, Leonard Williams was a great player when he came to this league because we saw in the Jets' defense he was lined up alongside or opposite a guy in Mo Wilkerson. And Leonard Williams was able to feed it in, in the cornerback pocket, quarterback pocket, because they had a guy like Mo Wilkerson on the opposite side of the ball. Hopefully, the Giants could win Patrick Graham's system, in which Leonard Williams could potentially get back to that point in his playing career. Another guy, Dalvin Tomlinson, they drafted a few years ago out of Alabama. Uh, great pick, great talent, great run blocker, uh, run stuffer. Um, another guy that we've seen that could potentially not get to the quarterback effectively, but could definitely scare the quarterback as um, then reach the pocket and break through offensive linemen. Another guy, BJ Hill. BJ Hill kind of had a, uh, I would I would say a little bit of a disappointing season last season, to be quite honest with you. We saw in his first rookie season he was probably one of the best rookies that the Giants had drafted at that point in time. Obviously, besides Saquon Barkley, BJ Hill out of North Carolina State. He put together a five-sack season, uh, was a defensive tackle, which was even more impressive about that, that he was able to get to the quarterback that many times and sack the quarterback. Um, but B.J. Hill last he had some snaps away from him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Patrick Graham does with this defensive line. He's a, a first-year defensive coordinator with this New York Giants football team to see how he works B.J. Hill back into the system. A guy that they signed for the Tennessee Titans, Austin Johnson. This is a guy that they signed potentially for depth. They could potentially come in for a guy as a defensive tackle in Dalvin Tomlinson to potentially take some low snaps away. 
replacing maybe a B.J. Hill or maybe even a Dexter Lawrence to give those guys a break as those guys in Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Thompson had so many of these defensive linemen snaps last season. And my last guy, R.J. McIntosh, this was a guy that the Giants drafted, I believe, last year, if not the year before that. Never really got to the field healthy when he did really didn't have that significant of an impact. I, it was either last year or the year before that where he really had his, his really outing type of game. I believe it was against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night or Monday night football or if it was even Thursday night football at MetLife Stadium where he really started putting some pressure and some heat on Dak Prescott, and that was really it. Hopefully he could get himself back up to that standard. He's also been a guy, knock on wood, who's been injury-plagued, and that's why you know he's my sixth guy on this uh, defensive lineman positional standpoint in which I have him on because he's kind of that bubble piece that I'd like to see make it. I'm not sure if he will make it. If he doesn't make it, there's no doubt in my mind that he will be, especially with the expanded practice squad. He should definitely be a guy on that 16-man practice squad, but I think that he does have a good shot at making this starting 53-man roster. I agree he has a good shot, but I disagree in a sense that I don't think he's going to make it i don't think they're keeping six i think they're keeping five so i'm gonna pull this banner up here if it lets me for some reason it won't let me switch um okay there it is so i have dexter lawrence dalvin tomlinson leonard williams bj hill and austin johnson i think rj mcintosh is on the outs looking in here the reason why is because they have a lot of pass rushers and i have them keeping nine linebackers 10 when mayo gets back a lot of those guys are also edge rushers. So they only start three down linemen. B.J. Hill and Austin Johnson can hold the ground. You can keep McIntosh's 54 or 55 and bring him up if you need to. I personally think that Lawrence is fantastic. He started all 16 games last year as a rookie. He was a good run stuffer. Dalvin Tomlinson, the longest tenured player on the entire defense, has not missed a start in his first three seasons, which is very impressive for a nose tackle. Uh, He's entering his contract year, which notoriously the Giants don't invest long-term in defensive tackles, which concerns me because I like Dalvin Tomlinson. But if you look at the past, Barry Cofield, Cornelius Hankins, Jonathan Hankins, those guys. So it's definitely something to consider, Giants fans, if you're watching this now. Will they keep Dalvin Tomlinson past this year? Uh, B.J. Hill, yes, he disappointed last year, but – They did trade for Leonard Williams. That limited his reps a little bit, so he really didn't get a chance to come out of his early slump. When your snaps are very limited as a young player, it affects your demeanor a little bit, and you're not as you know prone to excelling if you're not in there with those first-team guys. Uh, Leonard Williams did really struggle last year, and he will play the 2020 season on the franchise tag. Uh, He'll... Suffered a sophomore slump. Austin Johnson is a New Jersey resident and a former Tennessee Titan. I really like what he brings to the table, Kyle. I do, too. I do, too. I think that, you know, they saw something in this guy. They brought him in. He was one of their he was one of their under the radar type of signings that they brought in either really early in free agency or one of their last signings of free agency back in. I want to say March or something along those lines or maybe early April, but they like this guy and can potentially be on this roster. And I think that like you, Tom, I have him on this roster as well to make this squad. Definitely. 
Now jumping into the linebacker position, I have nine linebackers making this squad. And to be honest with you, now looking at it, I could potentially see them even hitting double digits with this linebacking core, considering that they've already had a guy in uh, David Mayo who was key for them in the games in which he played last season. Um, went down. Uh, you know, what is Ryan Connolly going to be at? A fantastic first three games to his rookie career, but then went down with the horrific ACL injury. You know, what is he going to be come year two? Doesn't have that much experience on the field, but let's jump into this. Uh, roster and what you got up for you. Marcus Golden, one of the most excited people in the world when July 22nd, I believe, rolled around and the Giants wanted up getting him back after not franchise tagging him. I was actually a little disappointed that the Giants did not franchise tag him, but very happy to see that he's back on this Giants squad. Hands down the most successful player on the defensive side of the ball last season for the Giants with 10, 10 and a half sacks, I want to say. With this one. 10 flat. 10 flat sacks with these uh, New York Giants football team. Definitely going to be interesting to see what he's able to do. A lot of points were brought up to me. Uh, have had interviews in the past with Paul Schwartz, Ralph Vacchiano, and a lot of the same similar points in which they brought up about Marcus Golden and why the Giants didn't sign him back immediately is because, you know, James Betcher, having had worked with him in Arizona, the system in which he ran – was able to allow Marcus Golden to be open and was to run up to mid, run up the middle to open holes and gaps in which he could flourish in a system. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens considering now, especially with a guy like Patrick Graham, completely different guy, on top of the fact that Patrick Graham has now brought in his own personnel from past teams, specifically the Green Bay Packers, and one of my next guys in Blake Martinez, a guy that not necessarily is going to be that pass rusher type of option. Hands down tackling machine, though. Hands down tackling machine. You could see him easily combined for over 100 tackles this season. I expect nothing less as we've seen in the past with the Green Bay Packers that obviously prior to this season in which they signed a guy in Zedarius Smith and signed a guy in Preston Smith, the Smith brothers, um, uh, Blake Martinez was the guy. That was the guy on defense for the Green Bay Packers for the last few years prior to bringing those guys in, and hopefully he could bring that same type of attitude and play on the field to the New York Giants, Lorenzo Carter. Lorenzo Carter, I want to see step up huge. I think we saw in his rookie year what he's capable of. Kind of fell off a little bit in his second year. We want to see him get back up to that standpoint again. I know we asked uh, Lance Meadow about this earlier. You know, what do we expect to see in the past rush in 2020 from Lorenzo Carter? I think we're going to see hopefully an upgrade over that rookie season in which he had two years prior. Because that, that that's an excellent player in which could potentially be a developmental player to bring to this Giants team, this organization, which they've already had the past two seasons. What can he be in year three under a new scheme? Uh, obviously, having had worked with James Betcher in the past, now having a new defensive coordinator, what is this guy going to produce on the field? Another guy, uh, Patrick Graham, and worked with in the past, Kyla Fackrell. I believe Kyla Fackrell... Uh, don't quote me on this, but two, three seasons ago, Tom, wasn't he the guy for Green Bay that had 10 sacks, something along those lines? Nine and a half, yeah. Nine and a half sacks. So something along those lines of a Marcus Golden type of player where has that breakout season and kind of falls off. As we saw last year, he kind of got lost in the fold a little bit because the Green Bay Packers brought in those guys in Preston Smith, in Zedaria Smith, which took all of those snaps away from a guy in Kyla Fackrell who flourished in the defense under Patrick Graham hopefully can reestablish that type of production. 
Ryan Connolly again, fantastic first three games last season. Good story. Comes back from an ACL tear. Going to make this starting team, no doubt about it in my head. Hopefully can get back to that same level of play in year two. O'Shane Eximinus started off slow. Giants worked him into the system as the season progressed. Liked what I saw out of him. Finished off the season with five and a half sacks. Can potentially be a role player in this defense. Carter Coughlin, same thing. Late round pick. Cam Brown, late round pick. I'd like to see these guys get more worked into the system. Again, you're probably not going to see these guys start on the field, but definitely good depth players. And my last guy, Devontae Downs, he's been necessarily, I guess you could say, the star uh, of, uh, of training camp, I guess you could call it. This is the guy that you're always hearing about in weekly daily reports on the defensive side of the ball from the Giants. And this is a guy that could potentially, again, if he's not going to make the – if he's not going to make the 53 – he's definitely going to make the practice squad. But that's who I have uh, my nine guys making. I like the list. I agree with you. I have the same nine. I have Marcus Golden. Obviously, last year, that's a given. But, folks, keep in mind, we're not including Dave Mayo because he is injured when he is back. I think they may carry 10 or they'll send downs or Coughlin down, something like that. But I think right now, uh, the two starting interior linebackers are Blake Martinez and Ryan Connolly. It just depends on Connolly's health. Uh, the fact that Mayo's out, it gives the slot to Devontae Downs. Uh, Mayo is getting a meniscus trim. He's not getting the full repair, which means this guy can be back in two to three weeks. Tate Crowder has impressed, but will likely end up on the practice squad. Marcus Golden and Martinez are the two standouts here, as I mentioned. Connolly shined in brief action last year, as you said. Carter had four sacks against the Giants offensive line in a scrimmage on Monday. He was fantastic. I think you're going to see a big leap from him in year three. Kyler Fackrell's a guy who can come in on third down. It's really going to be a rotation between those four on the edges, the pass rushers, Golden and Carter, and then Fackrell and Zimenez. Zimenez, as you said, had four to five sacks last year and very limited action as a rookie. Brown and Coughlin are both extra bodies that will be used primarily on special teams. I think they're going to be really solid for the Giants in that department this year. So those are my uh, nine linebackers. Missing the cut are TJ Brunson and Tay Crowder, a couple of seventh-round rookies, and then Josiah Tofea, who was a nice standout last year as an undrafted rookie. I think Tofea is cut. Brunson and Crowder as well. All three of them have a chance to make this practice squad, though, so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds come Saturday. Now we head to the defensive backs. My cornerbacks starting off with James Bradbury. I think one of the most under the radar signings in which any team had had during free, during the free agency period, considering you got to remember James Bradbury played with the Carolina Panthers of the past four seasons. So the past four seasons, you got to remember in a division that's stacked with offensive weapons. This guy has shut down guys like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Calvin Ridley. This guy has gone up against the cream of the crop positional players when it comes to the wide receiver position. This is the guy that the Giants need. Is he going to put up those flashy interception numbers? Maybe not. A lot of pass deflections? Maybe not. But you've seen what he's capable of in his days with Carolina, that he's been able to handle these top-of-the-line receivers, top 10 receivers that I just listed off for you, Mike Evans, Mike Thomas, um, Chris Godwin and uh, Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. These are the guys in which this guy has been playing up against the past four seasons. So happy to see him on the giant squad. 
newly acquired Logan Ryan, I think he's hands down. He's going to win that uh, second starting position at the cornerback position. Had the best year of his career last season. Young in his prime time. New Jersey guy. Uh, played at Rutgers. Love to see him on this team. One-year deal, $7.5 million. Hopefully, in a sense, a mindset of a proven type of contract in his mind. Put it all out there on the field. And production standpoint is fantastic, hopefully, from him come this season. Julian Love kind of spread all over the field last season on the on the defensive side of the ball. Hopefully finds a solid position for him in this defensive standpoint. Maybe safety, maybe corner. I know they have him listed as a corner, but I know that he could play nickel a little bit. So that'll be interesting to see where he fits on this team. Corey Ballantyne um, had some starts at the end of last season. Not starts, but had more reps in games come later in the season. Um, hopefully seeing him get worked into the system as well. Darnay Holmes, really, 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 really excited to see what this guy could bring to the table. Uh, all I remember back from the draft back in April was a guy in Deion Sanders. And you know, when a guy in Deion Sanders, probably the best to ever play at that position is talking about this guy or just any guy in general, you hope that that guy could potentially be, you know, real recognizes real when it comes to uh, play and on field performance. And hopefully, Darnay Holmes could bring that potential spark spark to this Giants defense and newly acquired uh, from the Denver Broncos cornerback Isaac Giotam. I want to say uh, I may be pronouncing that name wrong. I apologize, but Isaac Giotam, uh just depth player cornerback uh, from Denver, played with them the past couple seasons. Uh, just a nice player to have, especially as we've seen in the past where the Giants' corners have gone down like flies. So this is a nice acquisition for them. And that's my six cornerbacks for 2020. Very nice. Very, very nice. I also have six corners, um, but mine are a little different. So before I really get into it, to be clear, I have Julian Love making the roster, but as a safety, not a cornerback. I do have six cornerbacks like you. I have James Bradbury, who is the prized free agent acquisition. I have Logan Ryan, who was signed on Monday. As Lance Meadows said earlier on the show tonight, will most likely start in the slot for the Giants. Logan Ryan's a guy who had 113 tackles last year. Not to mention he had four picks, four forced fumbles, and four and a half sacks. That's the most. That was the most sacks in the NFL among cornerbacks. No cornerback last year had more sacks than Logan Ryan, and he's still only 29 years old. Look, I understand Bradbury is their go-to guy. But you also have to look out for rookie Darnay Holmes to get valuable reps, either in the slot or the boundary corner opposite of Bradbury. Right now, it's looking like Bradbury, Holmes, and Ryan in the slot. You could also potentially see Ryan uh, get some safety snaps as well if they don't feel confident in Julian Love. But I really think that it's going to be interesting. We know Javon Askew-Henry played in New York for the XFL, and Jared Williams has impressed in camp out of Albany, but I don't think those two guys make it. My other players here are Corey Ballantyne, a guy who was on the roster last year. In fact, the only player out of these six that I have who was on the roster last year. Not to mention also uh, Isaac Yadam, who was acquired yesterday. Uh, The Giants gave up a 2021 seventh-round pick for him. So at this time, the Giants only have two day three draft picks next year, a fourth and a sixth rounder. So that's a little concerning for a team that's in the process of I don't want to just come out and say rebuilding. That's basically what they've low-key been doing the last couple of years. Um, And then Monte Hardage, fun fact about him, he played for Patrick Graham last year in Miami. 
I think he will stick around because of that. He knows the system. He's a young player. He can also play some safety. Look, when you're playing for Joe Judge and this New York Giants team in 2020, you have to realize you have to be able to play multiple positions. I put guys who I think are able to be flexible and versatile as far as playing the cornerback and the safety position. I think there's plenty of players that can do it. I think these are the best six that can do it. I think James Bradbury is going to play corner all year, and so is Holmes. But Logan Ryan and those other other three guys that I have there, don't be surprised if they flip-flop positions. Uh, missing the cut, I have a lot of guys missing the cut. There's a lot of cornerbacks on this roster. Grant Haley, who was Saquon Barkley's roommate at Penn State, good story making the team the last couple of years. I think he's gone. Kaveri Russell, I don't think he makes it. They just signed him a week ago along with Brandon Williams. Prince Smith is another guy that I think misses the cut. Jaron Williams, Javon Askew-Henry will probably make the practice squad, and so will Chris Williamson, the uh, seventh-round draft pick. I think every seventh-round draft pick after Coughlin ends up on the practice squad. So, yeah, those are my cornerbacks, and we'll move on to the safeties. My three safeties making the 2020 roster, Jabril Peppers, obviously acquired from the Cleveland Browns last season, really showed what he could do with the safety position. It was a shame that he went down with injury last season, uh, but really would love to see what he's able to do in this defensive scheme under Patrick Graham and what he's able to bring to his table. Bring to the table, second year in a New York Giants football uniform, Drayvon Askew-Henry, uh, brought over from the XFL New York Guardians, actually played for them for a season or a couple games, rather. But the Giants really like this guy. This was, you got to remember, back in March or April when this guy was signed, he was one of the first XFL players that were signed, showing that the Giants really like what this guy could potentially bring to the table. I think he does make this roster, uh, especially being a guy in Xavier McKinney is potentially going to be out for at least the first 10 weeks, if not more. He's going to be out for a few months, potentially. And then Sean Chandler has been with the team the past two seasons. Hasn't really taken that step as the starting safety, but could definitely add to the depth at this position, no doubt about it. Those are my starting three. Okay. I have it a little different. I have these three safeties. Jabril Peppers, obviously, is the standout in this group. He was a leader on the defense last year. Uh, This group is without Xavier McKinney, as you just mentioned. So expect second-year player Julian Love to start in the uh, in the secondary with Peppers back there. I think that's where Love goes rather than Askew Henry. But, you know, it could go either way. I think Love's a safety. Uh, you know, he started a few games there last year as well. And then Sean Chandler, undrafted rookie free agent back in 2018. He continues to stick around and make this team. No doubt. And now moving over to the last section, the last – positional players that we got for you on this 53-man roster. Well, at least these are mine. These are my special team guys. So, obviously, Graham Gano, he's going to be the starting kicker. We know Riley Dixon, former pro bowler, is going to be the starting punter. Casey Kreider, who they also brought over from Denver uh, this past offseason, uh, long snapper. He's going to be the long snapper. And then, obviously, bringing over from uh, special teams with New England uh, under Joe Judge's coaching in Nate Ebner. He's going to be the special teams ace for this team. Um, these are my special team players. There's not much else to say. I, I, I don't think it really changes from these guys. I've got the exact same four. Graham Gano, Riley Dixon, Casey Kreider, and Nate Ebner. I think what's really interesting here is that Rosas obviously got cut after the hit-and-run T-bone incident. 
They signed Catanzaro, then released him for Gano. Good long-distance kicker, has a lot of leg, very accurate as well. Uh, Riley Dixon, huge leg and very reliable. I think he's the best punter we've had since guys like Jeff Fiegels and Steve Weatherford. I think he's a really good player, young player, too, who the Giants acquired via trade two years ago. Casey Kreider, uh, the long snapper who was signed in the offseason, he beat out Colin Holba early on. They just liked him better because Kreider is an ex-pro bowler. And he used to snap the ball to Riley Dixon. Remember, they played together in Denver, so there's chemistry there. These two are very familiar with each other. And Kreider takes over for the 13-year Giants legend, Zach Diossi. It's going to be weird not seeing a Diossi be a long snapper for the Giants. Fun fact, three out of the four Super Bowls the Giants won, a player named Diossi was the long snapper. Little fun fact for you. And then Nate Ebner, who is a special teams ace. Uh, He played on their judge in New England. He's now here to do similar things for the Giants. 31 years old, veteran, been there, done that, has a couple rings under his belt. Really excited to see uh, what happens with the special teams unit. And that is our 53-man rosters. Yes. And I got to tell you, we had very similar rosters. There really wasn't uh, much of a difference on it. Um, overall, I think that, you know, we did a really good job analyzing these guys. Of course, the three prime injured players are Xavier McKinney, Cody core and David Mayo. They're not going to have those guys core will miss the whole season. McKinney will probably miss about two thirds of the season, at least with the foot fracture. Mayo will be out for another two, maybe three weeks with the, um, meniscus injury. And then the practice squad. I think guys like Kyle Murphy, Haycraft, you have to consider them. Benjamin Victor, Alex Bachman, David Sills, whoever doesn't make that receiving depth chart. CJ Board as well, potentially. And then the Giants are probably going to cut Carson Tinker at long snapper. I forgot to mention him. He snapped for Alabama when Joe Judge was there as a special teams coach. Again, another fun fact. Had to do a little stat digging for that. But here's something very interesting about um, Carson Tinker that – you guys might not know about um he was signed because of covid you have to have in my personal opinion i think you have to have potentially a backup for the long snapper position this year does he stick around on the practice squad maybe with it being expanded to 16 players you don't know for sure i really like jaron williams at cornerback too he's six foot two big guy chris williamson as well it's going to be really really interesting to see what happens But, uh, look, remember, four of these players on the practice squad will be protected um, on Tuesday as of 4 p.m. Eastern time each week. That's what I've been hearing, part of the new CBA, part of the COVID season rules. But on that note, Kyle Russo, any final thoughts before we sign off? Just an excellent, excellently run, done, and show. Uh, Had a great interview, had a great 53-man Rasa talk as we uh, approach the new 2020 NFL season come next week. Going to be definitely very interesting. Folks, if you're watching this right now, you might want to rewind after we publish the show. We got to speak with Lance Meadow tonight, WFAN Giants radio host and the host of the Big Blue Kickoff podcast with Paul Dottino on Giants.com. On that note, on behalf of Kyle Russo, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. Stay tuned for Cutdown Day this Saturday And review and preview, we will be back on Tuesday night with the debut of the North Pole featuring our newest member of the show, Gabe Flayton. 
he will be talking about the NFC North teams. So that's going to be very interesting. He will talk all things NFC North. Tuesday at 6 p.m., 6 to 7, a one-hour show right here on Facebook Live. Like us, follow us at Review and Preview Sports. So long, everybody.